Adult content intended for an adult audience only. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. Contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link above to further support this writer. Elvin Love's Slave Part 2 by Alinea Elvin Love's Slave Chapter 3 It was morning, and Aronia stretched before getting up from bed to prepare for the day. She had been Vered's captive for nearly a year, now. Over time, as Vered had come to trust her more and more, the restrictions on her movement had gradually been lifted, and she now frequently joined Vered in the Great Hall when Orc peasants came to make requests. Today would be such a day. At first, the Orc commoners had been apprehensive about an elven woman sitting amongst them in their seat of power, but quickly word had spread that Aronia's presence seemed to comfort Vered. He was more benevolent with her there, so the commoners had slowly come to welcome her, often nodding to her before making their requests. As Aronia began to get dressed, she laughed when she saw herself in the mirror and realized that her long, silvery elven hair was still quite a mess from Vered's visit last night. She thought of him as she ran her hand over her collar, and she smiled dreamily. Her bond with the war chief had continued to grow. She had been worried that he might become bored of her and discard her for some new conquest, but instead, their relationship had become increasingly passionate and intimate over time. She was still his slave, but she no longer pretended that she did not care for him. Aronia's bond with Bola had continued to grow, as well. Bola had introduced the elven girl to many of the other orcs she spent time with, and in truth, Aronia now had more friends among the orc women than she had ever had back in her husband's village her elven husband, Colon, had seemed to deliberately cut her off from any friendships to increase her reliance on him. As Aronia began to comb out her silvery tangles, she recalled how Bola had been childishly excited when she had shown interest in styling her hair after Orsish fashion. The orc woman had spent nearly half a day with her, braiding and unbraiding her hair as they tried different designs. Eventually, Aronia had settled on two matching, unbraided pigtails like their friend Naz. With the tangles undone, Aronia proceeded to tie her hair into those pigtails, then made sure her orsish skirt and top were fitted properly. Satisfied, she headed out to meet Vered. Vered had arrived early to the Great Hall, as he often did on mornings such as these. The war chief was rarely given time to himself and he relished the opportunity to ponder in silence. He had requested that Aronia join him for today's duties, and it was to her that his mind wandered. Vered had grown up learning the elven language and customs from his tutors. His father, who had led the Frostbear clan before him, had wanted to make sure his son understood their enemy. It had worked Vered had proved an immensely successful general almost immediately upon taking the mantle but ever since his youth. He had been fascinated by the elves' pale skin and pointed ears, and he wondered if that early tutelage was to blame. Still, Vered had never been particularly attracted to an elven woman before, as most were far too short and scrawny for his tastes. That had changed the moment he laid eyes on Aronia. However, she had the elegant, graceful features of an elven girl and the thick, voluptuous body of a fertile orc woman. He had told Aronia on their first night together that she was the most beautiful creature he had ever seen, and he had meant it. But while Vered had first taken Aronia out of pure lust, 
his relationship with her had become far more over time. Despite the arrogant reputation of the elves, the girl was humble. She had never shown resentment at her condition, and Varad had not been forced to use the collar on her for many months. She was compassionate. As well, Varad had seen her spend time comforting the other elven slaves, and to his surprise, even seen her travel to the healing tents to aid the monks with any wounded Orsish soldiers. Perhaps most importantly, he and Aronia had proved intensely compatible as mates. He had worried that she might find him repulsive or find their coupling too painful, and while she had been intimidated and frightened at first, it became clear quite quickly that she found it as carnally satisfying as he did. He could be aggressive and even fierce as a lover, yet Aronia seemed to find that ferocity arousing and profoundly gratifying. Moreover, Varad had been shocked to learn that her elven husband belittled and ridiculed her looks. In contrast, Varad was happy to remind Aronia as often as he could just how beautiful he found her. He had told no one of this yet, but Varad had known for months that he wished to soul-bind with her to make Aronia his wife. Before binding for life, a war chief commonly took many mates, and Varad had been no exception. And yet, within weeks of taking Aronia as a captive, Varad had stopped mating with anyone else, and gradually he had come to realize that this elven woman was all that he wanted. Varad made a pained expression as he mulled these thoughts for the hundredth time. There were insurmountable obstacles to their soul binding, and that was why he had kept his desires to himself. Some of the obstacles were small. Aronia was a peasant woman, but this was not so serious a concern. Unlike with elven nobility, it was considered fortuitous for an orc war chief to bind with a woman of lower birth. Elven lords seemed to think themselves above their own people, while orc war chiefs liked to be seen among them. Some of the obstacles were much larger, however. While it might be accepted for a war chief to marry a commoner, it would be another thing entirely for that commoner to be an elf, not an orc. Even worse, Aronia was a slave. The Orsish monks who administered the soul-binding ritual would not bind a person against their will. And most seriously of all, Aronia already had an elven husband. No matter how poorly that husband treated her, the monks would not bind a person who was already joined to someone else. Verd rubbed his own temple. It was simply too much to overcome. Verd noticed an orc enter the great hall out of the corner of his eye. Shaking off his introspection, the war chief looked over at a side door and saw it was Dakar. Dakar was a heavily tattooed brown orc who had led his own Orsish tribe before the orcs had united under Varad's banner, and he was Varad's closest advisor. The two had been friends even before their clans had united, and they trusted one another completely. Dakar often stood at his side in the great hall to offer counsel. Dakar approached the throne. But before the two could even exchange words, another orc entered the hall, this time from the main entrance. The orc put his fist to his heart to salute Varad. War chief, the citizenry have arrived. Varad exhaled deeply, then motioned for Dakar to stand at his side. Don't look so annoyed, the brown orc said as he took his place over Varad's shoulder. It's only a thousand requests. Varad snorted, then nodded toward the orc soldier at the front of the room. Let them come. As the peasantry began to spill into the hall, Varad saw Aronia enter from the same side doorway from which Dakar had entered, and her pale blue eyes twinkled as she smiled warmly up at him. Varad never tired of her beauty, her ample bosom and full bottom, 
so uncommon for an elven woman, perfectly filled out her orsish skirt and top. She came to him, resting in a nest at his feet that had been made just for her. Verit patted her gently on the head, then sighed faintly. It will be a long day, he told her in Orsish. Aronia was now quite fluent in her master's tongue. There was a fire in a village to the southeast, and our people will require considerable aid. Aronia was unflustered, and she gently stroked his leg with one hand. I am here for you, she replied softly. She paused, then pointed toward the commoners now flooding the hall. And for them, Verit chortled in amusement. They do like to see you here, don't they? They must know you helped me keep my patience. He leaned down even further and caressed her cheek. I am glad you are here. You are my strength. The first supplicant reached the dais, and Verid sat back upright. Over the next several hours, orcs came and went with requests and with news. The fire had caused several houses to burn. Another orc had lost his livestock to the blaze yet another claimed it had left him impotent. News from the southwest that the dwarven assaults had been repelled, and all orc villages defended. Each time Verid began to feel strained, Aronia would lightly brush his calf to remind him of her presence, and to remind him to be generous. Just as Verid saw the midday sun cresting through a window, the Orsish soldier who had opened the doors for the citizenry in the morning entered the hall once more and ran hurriedly forward passing by the peasants already in line. The soldier approached the throne, struggling for breath, and began speaking so hurriedly and breathlessly that his words were unintelligible. Dakar, still standing at Verid's side, tried to put the soldier at ease. Calm, brother. Take a moment. The orc halted and inhaled deeply to steady himself. War chief, a messenger has just arrived and claims his request is urgent. He is... The orc hesitated, seeming to consider his words. He is not of our kingdom. The war chief stared inquisitively at him. A very cryptic phrasing, he thought to himself. Verid was curious, and he held up his hand permissively. Send him in. The orc soldier put fist to chest and hurried from the room. Within moments, he returned with the messenger. As the messenger furtively approached the steps, Verid quickly saw why his soldier had hesitated so. The messenger was not a scout from some remote Orsish tribe, but an elf. Verid noticed Aronia's eyes go wide, and she shifted her weight in her nest. The elven messenger glanced at her as she did so, then decided to divert his eyes. He is not here for her, then. The messenger shuffled about slightly, then kneeled before him. My lord. The elf stammered and faltered, clearly unsure how to address an orc war chief. We are told you speak elvish. I do, Verd replied flatly in the elf's tongue. State your business. The messenger sighed with relief. He was still a little out of breath himself. My lord, I come on behalf of the village of Thorin. We seek your aid. The elf spoke with his head bowed. Our village is laid siege by a large force of trolls. Trolls are a cruel and violent race, but they lack strategy and so we have kept them at bay for some time. And yet I fear our supplies may be running short, and our people will starve. The elf paused and licked his lips. We know that orcs are no friend to the elves, but we know that you are no friend to trolls, sither. We have heard tale of your great success on the battlefield, and we have nowhere else to turn. If you aid our town, we will repay you in any way we can. 
The elf had been staring down at the ground, but finally looked up at Verit. His eyes were exhausted and desperate. My lord. Please. The hall was deafeningly quiet. Verit studied the elf before responding. Where is your elven liege lord? Is he not sworn to protect his people? The messenger's face took on a bitter complexion. Our former lord is a man of the elven capital. Elven nobility has always looked down on the rural peasantry. They care only enough to make sure we pay our taxes. The elf grimaced. The troll force is large, and I will not pretend that the confrontation will be bloodless. Our former lord refused to send forces to defend us. The war chief placed a hand underneath his chin pensively. He sensed an opening. You say you will repay us. What payment do you offer? The messenger was silent as he looked around the room, seeming to study if the onlookers could understand him. He glanced at Aronia again, then looked back at Verid. The leaders of our village are prepared to name you our new liege lord. He said in an almost hushed tone, Our village would come under your dominion. There were scattered gasps around the great hall. At least a few people understood what had just been said. Verid raised an eyebrow. You would willingly pledge fealty to an orc war chief? The messenger's face grew tense again. As I said, my lord, we have nowhere else to turn. Verid paused, considering. He looked down at Aronia for a long while, then back at the elven messenger. He held up his hand once more. Very well, the war chief replied. I will send an envoy of my own back with you to discuss terms. Tell your village leaders we come to their aid. I will mobilize our forces immediately. The messenger breathed a heavy sigh of relief. Thank you, my lord. I will inform them. With that, the elf left as quickly as he had come. The messenger had definitively ended the day's duties. Verid returned to his native tongue and informed the remaining citizenry that their requests would have to be met on another date. As the commoners grumbled and exited the great hall, Verid looked back down at Aronia and spoke to her in Elvish. I will want your guidance in these matters these are your people, after all. And we must be careful. However dire their situation, I doubt they are pleased to seek aid from orcs. The elven girl nodded uneasily, apprehension plain on her face. This unexpected messenger offered his orcs an excellent opportunity, but Verid doubted these villagers would take kindly to elven slaves. The release of any elven captives would likely be a demand for any true accord and he could see Aronia had the same fears he did. Dakar, who had stayed at Verid's side, came in closer. If we are to do this, Dakar said stiffly, we must proceed quickly. Verid turned in his chair to face him. And we will. Let us head to the camps now. The war chief briefly turned his attention back to Aronia. Dakar is right, we must move swiftly. For now, find Bola and make your way together to the soldiers' encampment. Once preparations have been made, I will find you there. Aronia seemed to resist at first, and Verid could tell she wanted to stay with him. Reluctantly she acquiesced, and as he and Dakar began to make their way to the camps, he saw her scurrying back to the palace quarters. Verid and Dakar strode side by side through the Orsish palace, speaking hurriedly. They had much to discuss and little time to do it. As he battered his war chief with questions, Dakar did not openly rebuke him, but Verid could still sense discomfort in his voice and he suspected he knew where that unease came from. Are we sure we can trust them? Dakar asked. 
Verit shook his head. We are not, and we should always prepare for deception. The envoy I send will be there to discuss terms, but also to sniff out any snares that may be laid for us. Still, I hardly think the elves will ally with the trolls instead. Dakar let out a guffaw. That much we can count on, I suppose? He considered further. Still, will our men even fight to protect elves? They are not our people. Are we sure our soldiers will accept such a task? They will if we convince them of it, but the two of us must be united. Remember that many of the other Orsish tribes were not our people, either until they were. Dakar pushed further. And what of their former liege lord? He may have abandoned this village, but I doubt he will be pleased to see his own kind swear oaths to an orc war chief. Their former lord already wars with us, Verid responded, and he has been losing battles to us for years. Let him come. Still, we should expect him to harry any elven villages that come under our domain. He will want to make an example of them. He will, Verid replied, looking at his lieutenant meaningfully. And I will want you to lead those defenses. At this, Dakar clenched his jaw, and he shrugged his shoulders uncomfortably. I have not protested so far, he said, and I will follow your orders. But you know my history with these people, brother. Verid had expected this was the reason for his friend's palpable discomfort. Dakar's mother and father had been killed by an elven raiding party many years ago, before the Orsish tribes had unified. He came to a halt and put his hand on Dakar's shoulder. And we brought vengeance on those elves, did we not? For your family. Together. Dakar nodded, but strain was still evident on his face. The war chief continued. They deserve their fate, but they do not speak for all else. He held up a hand questioningly. What of Veronia? I know your history with the elves, but she is my history. You have seen how she cares for our poor in the great hall. You have seen her go unbidden to aid our monks in the healing tents. The brown orc tensed his jaw once more. Eventually, he took a heavy breath and let his shoulders drop. I, Dakar responded reluctantly. She has a good heart. Verit squeezed his lieutenant's shoulder more encouragingly. You are right that we take a risk in this, but if we want our people to prosper, we cannot fight everyone, from all sides, forever. We need allies. You have said as much yourself? Verit's deep voice grew softer, to almost a whisper. These elves are not those others. These elves seek our aid, and we have given them our word. If we truly seek allies, we cannot punish all for the crimes of a few. Verid could see Dakar's eyebrows fro, and he knew his friend was lost in thought. Eventually, the strain began to leave the brown orc's face, and he sighed once more as he gave the warchief a smirk. Better elven allies than satyrs or dwarves, I suppose? Verid smiled back. Our people have not been known for their mercy. If our man can see that even you can show forgiveness after being so wrong then any of us can. I trust no one for this more than you. As the two exited the palace grounds, Dakar nodded as he put his fist against his heart. Verd and Dakar spent several hours readying the troops and preparing them to march. With orders to be assembled by morning, the camp was alive with activity, forces buzzing about as they assembled armor and weapons. Many did not know yet where they would be headed. The most important task still lay ahead of them Verid had called a meeting of the tribal leaders to rally them to this new, unexpected cause. 
While the tribes were all united under Veridan name, the voices of most leaders still carried great weight with the soldiers who had once fought for them, and for them alone. For most battles, no such meetings were necessary. The united Orsish tribes had prospered greatly under Verid's leadership, and the bonds of trust amongst the once fractious tribes had consequently grown strong. But while the orcs had fought to forge new allies before, those allies had never been else. It was a ripe opportunity, but it also presented great risk, and he knew that those risks multiplied tenfold if the support of his lieutenants wavered. As the sun began to fall to the horizon and the armies began to coalesce, Verid sought out Aronia. Before tonight he had never wanted her present for matters of war, but these were unique circumstances. He had told her to find Bola and come to the camps, but he had not seen her once in the several hours spent readying the soldiers. I had expected to see her outside the tents, Vera told Dakar as he scanned the area looking for her. Dakar shrugged. Well, where would she be instead? You know her better than I. That gave Verit pause. He thought for a moment, then started moving again. I know where she is. As the two orcs entered the healing tents, Verit saw Aronia at a bedside with one of the monks, helping to administer bandages to an orc soldier. She applied a cooling rag to the soldier's forehead, then leaned over and whispered to him. Bola was nowhere to be seen, but their friend Ness stood off to the side, arms crossed with a petulant look on her face, as seemed her custom. As they approached, Aronia looked up, and her pointed ears perked up excitedly. She gently wiped the soldier's forehead once more, then leapt up and threw her arms around Verid's armored torso. The war chief laughed, then placed a hand on top of her head. The elven girl was certainly no longer coy about her affection for him. Naz, as usual, seemed less pleased. She looked over at Dakar, who had been her tribal leader. It's all true then, she asked. The elven village asked us for aid? And pledged their loyalty? It is true, Dakar replied. News like this travels like wildfire. Naz's expression grew even more sour, and she shook her head in disbelief. It will never work. They will decide they are too good for us and break trust as soon as they no longer need our aid. Dakar raised his eyebrows in surprise, then motioned with his head toward Aronia. She's right there, you know. The orc woman sighed. Sorry, Ari. Before you came to us, I had met an elf only once, at a bar in the free cities. The elf was sitting at a stool nearby, and when he saw me come to drink— he wrinkled his nose, said something in Elvish, then spat in my face and left. She scoffed in disgust. Didn't even pay the bartender. Naz's expression softened, and she reached out her hand to touch Aronia's arm. I know you are not like that. Maybe these ones will be more like you and less like that fool. Just then, Bola swooped in from outside. Varit could see she was carrying a bowl of red paste, and he realized she had gone searching for war paint. Aronia looked perplexed. She had often been with Verit after a battle, but never before one, like now. They are war paints, Bola explained, seeing her friend's confusion. They are worn by Orsish wives. Only before large battles like this one. Bola dipped her fingers into the bowl, then used her fingers to spread the bright red paint across her face, two stripes on each cheek. Naz, who was unmarried, rolled her eyes but eventually she too dipped her hand into the paint. Finally, Bola turned to Aronia. Come, she said, 
holding up the bowl for the elf. You are one of us, now. Aronia hesitated and stared into the bowl. Unlike Naz, Aronia was a married a woman just not to bear it. There was an awkward silence, and Aronia seemed to be considering. Naz and Dakar looked to Verid, but the war chief stood silently by, not wishing to force the elven girl's hand. Finally, Aronia reached into the bowl with her delicate elven fingers and spread two red stripes against each cheek. She and Verid smiled at one another. The bright red paint highlighted her light blue eyes and complemented her smooth, milky complexion. Bola looked over her elven friend and nodded approvingly. You are a true orc now. In spirit, at least. Oh, I can barely tell the two of you apart, said Naz, looking between them. The three women broke into laughter. Verd was glad to see Aronia happy, and he wished he could leave them to their merriment, but time was of the essence. We must go, he said to Aronia. The tribal leaders have gathered. I must address them, and for this, I want you at my side. He held out a hand to her, but she looked uncertain. I am a captive, not an advisor she stated flatly. Are you sure I would be welcome there? You offer particular insight to this situation, he replied. And you know you are more than a simple captive now. Slowly she took his hand, and as she did so, he gave it a comforting squeeze. She returned the gesture, and together they left the tent, to car still beside them. As the trio came back out into the dusky red sunlight, Verid could see soldiers still rushing about. He made his way through the throngs, and many stopped to salute him when they saw who was passing. It was only a short walk to the command tent. When Verid opened the flaps and led Aronia inside, he saw that most of the leaders were already assembled around the central table, speaking loudly to one another. Verid felt Aronia flinch. She had never been to a gathering such as this, and the sight of so many Orsish officers, armored and dressed for war, would intimidate anyone that he squeezed her hand reassuringly again. The elven girl took a deep breath, then looked up at him. I need you here, he reminded her. You are safe with me. Always. Aronia still looked nervous, but she nodded and took a seat near to where Verid stood. The war chief turned his attention back to the former tribal leaders, now his lieutenants. As the last of them trickled into the tent, he was glad to see that none had refused the meeting outright. Verid put fist to heart, and the assembled orcs followed suit. The room went silent for him. Tomorrow we ride against the trolls. He spoke clearly for all to hear. And tomorrow we fight to save an elven village. Verid paused as he looked across his officers meaningfully. Some of you may have heard that these elves have been abandoned by their liege lord and have agreed to swear fealty to us. It is true. They will fall under our dominion, and it will be our duty to protect them, just as we would any other territory sworn to us. There was quiet around the tent. A few faces looked keen, a few sour, but none surprised. The news of the messenger had indeed spread quickly. A better start than I expected, he thought to himself. I suppose I should be pleased none stood up and left immediately. Still, the leaders had a mass of questions. They proceeded to ask many of the same things Dakar had earlier. They discussed the possibility of a trap. They prodded further about the elves' liege lord, then questioned who would lead the defenses should the elves require it. I will lead those defenses. Dakar stood up, speaking confidently. And I will defend any other elven villages that choose to come under our domain. 
Vared saw more than a few raised eyebrows. Most of these orcs had fought with them to avenge Dakar's family. As he had hoped, Dakar's backing carried great weight. The war chief sensed the atmosphere shifting in his favor, so he pressed on. This is an opportunity for us, my brothers. For too long, the orcs have had no allies. We fought merely to survive. His voice grew louder. But now we have grown strong, and we have grown strong because we chose to put aside our differences and unite. Vered looked over at Marak and Ogre, two of the former tribal leaders. They sat next to one another, and the war chief pointed toward them. The night ravens and the hell moon fought each other for generations, he said assuredly. And now these two sit together, stronger than they ever were alone. I attended the wedding where Ogre's daughter became Marak's wife. Marak put on a sarcastic grin. And sometimes I'm even glad of it. Ogre smacked his fellow tribe leader on the shoulder amiably. Laughter spread through the tent, and Vered let the laughter run its course before speaking again. Now other races come to us for help. Vered pointed at his chest emphatically. Us, not their own lords, because their own lords still jockey for power, squabbling amongst each other as we once did. Just as we have done before, we will make new allies allies who had once been our enemies. And just as before, our new allies will make us stronger. The war chief pointed at his two lieutenants once more. It can be done. Ogre and Marak have seen it. Vered saw many orcs shifting about in their seats, thinking. Finally, Balran, Bola's husband, leaned forward. Balran was an older, green orc who somehow managed to look kind and warm despite an eye patch over one eye and a scar across the same cheek. Aye, we've grown stronger together. Balran spread his hands wide as if to hold them all. But an elf is another matter. They are a cruel, selfish, arrogant people. How do we know they won't betray us? Before Vered could respond, Aronia shot upright. Our wealthy lords may be selfish and arrogant, the elven girl said, her voice more heated than he had ever heard from her. But they do not speak for all of us. Our rural peoples are exploited. We are left poor, and poverty cares little for race. It is the same everywhere. She shook her head. Elven commoners, like me, share more with Orsish farmers than we ever did with the elven nobles that so disdain us. We just want to be free to live our lives, to farm our crops, to be safe from harm. We want the same things you provide to the orcs living in the countryside. Balran raised his eyebrows in surprise. You would willingly help orcs gain dominion over an elven village? He asked incredulously. Aronia looked up at Vered. I have been here for a year now, she said. And in that time, I have seen that the orcs are far kinder to their commoners than the elven lords ever were to us. My people want comfort and safety. If you provide that, those villagers will be as loyal to you as any orc. For a moment, the room was silent. Aronia stood next to Vered defiantly, and the tribal leaders seemed to be looking at her as if they were seeing her for the first time. Finally, Balran chuckled. I can see why you like her. He told Vered bemusedly. Ogre stood up and looked at his war chief. The hell moon stand with you. Marak stood next and the night ravens. One by one, the other tribal leaders got up, until every one of them was standing. Vera took a quiet breath of relief. He had needed their support, and now he had it. While the tribes were once again united in purpose, 
There was still much to discuss, and Barrett sat next to Aronia at the head of the table as the leaders planned for the morning march. Balran had the most great wolves rested and ready for riding, and would provide some to other clans. The smiths of the morning sun were busy reforging armor, and would have some prepared before the clans departed. As the chatter continued, Varad kept his eye on his lieutenants, but he leaned slightly over to Aronia and whispered to her in Elvish. You spoke well tonight, he told her. Thank you? Aronia wrung her hands as she whispered back to him. I felt very nervous. Then you did not show it. The orc responded, still speaking her native tongue. Under the table, he took one of her delicate hands in his and squeezed it once more. I am glad you find your courage, he told her. Bola is right. You are a true orc now. You wish I were an orc woman instead? She whispered back jokingly. He hid a smile. I wish you to be happy. If saving an elven village brings this out of you, I would do it a thousand times. From the corner of his eye, Varad saw Aronia turn and look at him directly, dropping any pretense of a secretive conversation. Her pointed ears twitched with uncertainty, and he could feel her studying him. She said nothing, and he could not tell what she was thinking. Eventually, she murmured something in Elvish that was too soft for him to understand. Before Varad could ask what she had said, Aronia let go of his hand and reached farther under the table, then moved her own hand between his legs and lightly brushed it against his crotch. Varad nearly choked as he stifled a bark at her brazenness she really had found her courage. Trying to remain focused, Varad turned his attention back to his gathered lieutenants. Thankfully, the meeting was already coming to a close. His cock began to harden beneath her soft touch, and as it did so, he felt her begin to caress it more firmly that he decided he needed to speed things along. As soon as there was another opening, Varad spoke again in Orsish. It is late, he told them, speaking more loudly again. And we await the return of our advanced scouts early tomorrow. These details shall hold until we have further information on the troll position let us reconvene then. With what remains of the night, rally your tribes for the hard march in the morning. The leaders went silent, then nodded and stood up, making their way toward the exit and saluting Varad as they left. Little by little, the command tent emptied. Dakar was the last lieutenant still with them. Together, the three stepped outside. It was now well past sundown, but scores of soldiers were still moving about. The supply master had too few men to prepare the carts for travel, Dakar said. I will make sure he has the help he needs to be ready for the journey. He put fist over heart as he faced the war chief. Until tomorrow. Dakar looked at Aronia for a moment, then made the same gesture of respect toward her before walking off into the darkness. Finally, mercifully, they were alone, and Varad turned his attention entirely to his elven captive. We can return to your quarters, he told her. I have. Aronia vigorously shook her head. She pulled at Varad's hand, then began dragging the huge orc toward a supply tent across the central campgrounds. Varad laughed and allowed her to lead. The elven girl certainly was impatient. She thinks this may be our last night together, Vera thought to himself. And she may be right. He felt a sudden pang of sadness, but he quickly dismissed such reflections. They passed by the bonfire in the center of camp, where orc soldiers were still chanting and singing around it. Vera knew that he and Aronia would not be sneaking off undetected, 
but their need for one another was so urgent that he did not care. He ogled Aronia as she pulled him forward. Her creamy skin gleamed in the firelit moonlight, her beautiful hair fashioned into those two pigtails, her smooth cheeks still rosily adorned with war paint, her breasts just barely contained by her orsish top. He would never tire of her beauty, and he wanted her just as much as she seemed to want him. When they reached the tent, Vered looked inside. The supply tent was momentarily vacated, with weapons and armor pieces in various states of preparation, along with a chair and small bench. He entered, and Aronia followed shortly after. He saw her turn to hook the flaps of the tent closed, and as she bent down to fasten the lower hook, he got a perfect view of that full, beautifully rounded bottom even a year after first taking her. Vered could hardly believe such an ass belonged to an elven woman. The tent now closed. Aronia turned back around and stared at Vered more hungrily than he had ever seen. He stood in the center, and as she walked toward him, she began to disrobe in a frenzy. She shimmied her hips as she moved, and when her skirt fell to the floor, she grabbed it with one hand and tossed it aside. She then grasped the sides of her top and lifted it over her head, allowing her heavy breasts to spill out, the milky flesh jiggling exquisitely. Vered had already started taking off his battle armor by the time she reached him, and he threw his chest piece down beside them with a loud thud. As he began taking off his soft undershirt, Aronia reached out and greedily began undoing his pants. His upper body now bare, Vered helped Aronia remove the last of his leggings, and his cock, already fully hard, sprung free. The elf groped at it instantly softly stroking it with one hand as she ran the other across his dark, muscular chest. Aronia then stood on her toes, stretched out, and kissed Vered passionately on the mouth. In Orsish culture, kissing was an act typically reserved for husband and wife, but they had long ago stepped over that threshold. Her hand still lightly stroking his cock, she ardently embraced Vered for a long while. Eventually, the huge orc leaned down and moved his mouth to the elven girl's ears, softly nipping at them and gently running his tongue along their edge. Aronia's breath audibly quickened, and she let our soft murmurs of satisfaction. Vered moved his mouth down to her neck, and Aronia ran her hands over his shaved scalp, whispering at him encouragingly. With his free hand, Vered reached out and grasped her breast, caressing the soft, meaty weight of it. When Vered stood back upright, Aronia suddenly pushed him away and his eyes opened wide with surprise as he shuffled backwards and fell into the chair behind him. Aronia briefly looked shocked at her own boldness, and he realized she worried he would be angry and use the collar on her. While Vered had always led whenever they mated, he had no intention of stopping her. He liked seeing how much she wanted him, and he motioned with one hand for her to come to him. The elven girl smiled, then got down on her hands and knees, slinking toward him. When she arrived at his feet, she sat back on her heels, looked up at him flirtatiously, and gently brushed a hand over her collar. Who do I belong to? She asked. Vered's nostrils flared. You belong to me. Aronia reached out and began placing gentle kisses on his heavy balls. And does my master find me beautiful? She asked between kisses. His breathing was growing heavy. You are the most beautiful creature I have ever seen. No matter how often he told her, she always seemed pleased to hear him say it. She took one testicle into her mouth and sucked on it tenderly, lapping at it gently before letting it fall again. And does my master desire me? She asked, her voice feigning innocence, now panting 
Verid looked intensely into her eyes. I want you now and forever. With that, Aronia ran kisses up the length of his massive shaft, then swirled her tongue around the head before taking it into her mouth. Verid groaned, and she moved her hand to continue to massage his weighty orsish balls. Aronia was still not able to take even a third of the massive cock into her mouth, but she struggled to take as much as she could. Verid watched with pleasure as her head bobbed up and down on him eagerly, her silvery pigtails swinging about as she did so. He could feel her tongue swirl over his member each time it entered her mouth, and he placed a hand on her head to encourage her further. The elven girl reached a hand between her own legs and gently rubbed herself, and she began to let out muffled whimpers. Eventually Aronia pulled back, making a loud, wet popping sound. She took a deep breath, then got up from her knees and stood over him. Verid moved his legs closer together, and the elf sat down into his lap, straddling him. She leaned in and kissed him passionately again, and he put one hand on her waist while he reached behind her with the other and grabbed a large handful of her full bottom. Aronia gradually scooted herself and even further on his lap. Verid released her from their kiss, then looked down to see that her delicate sex was already red and engorged with blood, its lips already slick with her juices. She was very, very aroused, and her blue eyes looked at him almost pleadingly. Verid grinned, then moved his other hand to her bottom, lifting her up and gently guiding her down onto his cock. Her lust was so urgent that he entered her effortlessly, and she mewed as nearly all of the enormous orc member filled her immediately. Aronia desperately wiggled her hips to fit the last few inches in, and she sighed with intense satisfaction when her bottom pressed against his thighs once more. The feeling was exquisite, and Verit felt the soft, wet walls of her pussy squeezing around his member. He still marveled that any elf girl could take a cock of his size, yet Aronia always accepted it hungrily. The two of them seemed somehow meant for each other he filled her completely with no room to spare, like a key made precisely to fit a lock. Aronia briefly sat still on top of him, eyes half-closed and glazed over, clearly relishing the sensation of being so thoroughly stretched. As she rested there, Verid realized he could hear movement outside the tent. The bonfire had likely died down by now, and a few of his men must have tracked him down. He decided to ignore IT.AS the elf began slowly bouncing up and down in his lap. Verid grasped her round bottom more firmly to assist her. She leaned in to kiss him once more, and as she did so, he lifted one hand off her ass and gave it a rough, hard smack. Their lips still locked together, Aronia let out a lustful moan. Aronia sat back upright and began to increase her pace, and her ass began to make plopping sounds each time she slammed down into his lap. As she rode him, her plump, pale breasts bounced heavily in front of him, and Verid reached out his tongue and flicked it over one pink, erect nipple before pulling it into his mouth. The elf's panting and moaning grew louder, and Verid was confident now that his men could hear them. The sounds of shuffling outside increased, and he heard them begin to mumble to one another. Perhaps they should not be ignored, after all. My men are outside, he told Aronia through his own heavy breathing. I can hear them, so they can surely hear us. Aronia shook her head she would not be dissuaded. I need it she replied through heavy pants. Please, master. Please. Verid eagerly obliged. He still held her bottom, helping the elven girl ride him, and her pace increased even further. 
The slapping sound as her ass met his thighs grew louder, and her moans turned to carnal grunts. He watched as his huge, orsish cock disappeared inside her again, then again doubt be why this time, the sounds of their mating were unmistakable, and the orcs outside knew what was going on. The soldiers began to rhythmically strike their shields, almost like a drumbeat. Aroni either did not notice them or did not care she was entirely focused on her pleasure. She continued to ride him, her pale body now covered in a glistening sheen of sweat, the features of her beautiful face furrowed in intense concentration. Her elven ears began to bend downward, and Varad knew she must be close to orgasm.a as she neared her peak. Aronia slammed down into his lap once more, then held herself there as she rocked her hips back and forth against his muscular pelvis. Varad moved both hands to her waist, and they stared into one another's eyes as she ground against him. Without breaking eye contact, the elven girl reached down, took one of his hands off her waist, and placed it around her own neck. Varad had always been the one to initiate this sort of act before, but he did not hesitate. His large, gray hand gripped around her ivory neck, and Aronia let out a strangled gasp of desire as she writhed against him even more frantically. I am yours, she murmured through raspy and constricted breath, still staring into his golden eyes, her face dappled with sweat. I am yours. Always, he told her. With that, the elven girl came, pressing her sex into him as hard as she could. Varad held her firmly by the neck, and the sounds of her orgasm came out as a muffled gurgling. He could feel her pussy contracting spasmodically around his member. Her thighs squeezed against him, her nails dug into his shoulders, and her whole body shuddered as the sensations crashed over her in waves. Finally, Varad felt her thighs release their hold on him. He took his hand from her neck, and she collapsed against his chest in a heap, gulping for air. Varad put his arms around her comfortingly and stroked her back. He let her recover for a while longer as she lay against him, but the soldiers outside still beat a steady rhythm, and Varad had not been satisfied yet. After one last gentle stroke down her back, the gray orc grasped her again by her bottom and lifted her out of the chair. Aronia draped her arms around his shoulders as he held her up, legs over his biceps and spread to each side of his waist, her dainty feet dangling in the air. His cock was still buried deep inside her, and he quickly began to fuck the fair elf in earnest. Aronia moaned anew, and that steady slapping sound returned as Varad's muscular thighs smacked against her ass. His strokes grew long, pulling almost entirely out of her before thrusting fully back in. The soldiers outside started to shout and holler, and their drumbeat reached a fever pitch. Varad began to grunt ferociously with exertion, and he could feel his own orgasm begin to swell. He was filled with an urgent, primal need to come inside her. He held the elf firmly as he fucked her, and he stared at her the elven girl's face was flushed and red, her silvery hair matted down with sweat, the war paint she had worn now hopelessly smeared. Even now, she was incredibly beautiful. Aronia looked up at him longingly with those pale blue eyes. I love you, she told him breathlessly. Despite all their affections for one another, that was a phrase either had ever spoken to the other, and it was enough to put Varad over the edge. He let out one last carnal grunt, thrust into her as deeply as he could then came. His cock throbbed, and he bellowed as it pumped its seed into her, over and over. He held her there, suspended in the air, until he felt the last drops spill out of him. He pulled Aronia in closer, 
and the two lovers touched foreheads, chests heaving. Finally, the huge orc set her down. Aronia stood for a moment, but her legs began to wobble, and she quickly collapsed to the floor. She giggled at her own exhausted clumsiness, then took a deep breath as she pulled the sweaty, matted hair away from her face. Varid laughed along with her, then decided to join her on the floor. He sat cross-legged, and the elf leaned against him, undoing what remained of her pigtails. He put an arm around her, and she placed one elegant hand on his chest again. The two of them sat there on the floor, naked and holding one another, for a long while. The drumbeat outdoors eventually faded, and the commotion outside the tent went silent. Varid had never felt more content in his life. Aronia rested against Varid for nearly an hour inside the tent, gradually snuggling her head into his lap as he played with her hair and stroked her pointed ears. The two said little to each other, but at this point, they did not have to doubt A as she looked up at him. She admired his strong jawline, his dark, gray, heavily muscled chest, and his broad, orsish shoulders. He was so strong and so handsome, and she could not recall why she had ever thought otherwise that I never want to leave this tent, she thought to herself. If we do not leave, tomorrow can never come. Despite her best efforts, her anxiety slowly crept back in. After an hour of cuddling against one another, she finally asked Varid the question she had been dreading all day. Master, will these elves truly bow to an orc who holds their own kind as slaves? Varid looked down at her, his face suddenly tense. The details of the arrangement could not be agreed upon without the village council, and the council is trapped inside by the troll army. The entire assault is a risk. There is still much I do not know. Will they demand I be freed? Aronia pondered. Do I still even want to be freed? The elves are my people, and yet, she felt her insides twist again. She did not know what to say, or how to feel. Master, I, I love you too. Varid said, cutting her off. Aronia's mouth dropped open with surprise, and her heart pounded loudly in her chest. She felt happy and sad at the same time. She wanted to sing and to cry. She nestled her head further into his lap to hide her face from him as he gently brushed her cheek. You are my love mate, he confessed, his voice clearly strained. But a love mate should not be a slave. Varid's face was pained, and he looked as confused as she. You say these elven villagers want safety, that they want protection. He continued to stroke her cheek and hair. But I did not give that to you. I attacked your home, and I took you as a prisoner. I am sorry I have kept you captive. I am. He paused, then shook his head. I am sorry. Neither of them was very good at this. Varid's father had raised him to be a great warrior, but he had never been prepared for a situation like this one. Aronia placed gentle kisses on his lean, athletic belly. They sat in silence again, each unsure what to say to the other. Eventually, Aronia drifted to sleep in his lap. When she awoke the next morning, Varid was gone. The battle had begun. Elven Love Slave Chapter 4 The Orsish army had risen early, as it always did in times of war. Varid rode at their head, the sun just now cresting over the horizon to his right and casting a hazy orange glow. They hoped to be nearing the elven village by nightfall, and Varid's great wolf, Sasha, kept a quick and steady pace as she shook off the last traces of sleep. The officers rode just behind him, 
and Vared heard the soft clanking of armor as Balran moved up to his side. The older orc turned so his good eye faced the war chief. Some of my men were outside the supply tents last night, he said, a hint of mischief in his voice. Already fraternizing with our new allies, are we? Vared smiled faintly. We have her to thank for those new allies in the first place. I, I'll trust you on that, Balron replied genially. But if these elves do end up being good friends to us, I hope you'll forgive me if I do not thank them in quite the same way you do. The two shared a laugh, but Balron could sense the younger orc's discomfort. He studied him for a while. You really care for this one, eh? This Aronia? Vera tensed. He had avoided this conversation with his officers for some time. He supposed it was finally time to have it. I do. Balran seemed unperturbed. Do you wish to bind with her? Vered shrugged his shoulders uneasily before shaking his head. What I wish is not important. It cannot be done. And why is that? She is married to another elf. Balan let forth a soft, low whistle. Falling for a married elven slave? I suppose it's not the worst story to tell our people do love when their war chiefs marry the lowborn. And the two races have similar lifespans. You could claim it as a sign of unity with our new allies. The older orc tilted his head back and forth as he weighed the options. Does she even care for him, this husband of hers? Her husband is a malicious fool he derides and belittles her, makes her feel small. She will not say it, but she does not truly love him. Vared grimaced before continuing. Yet he is her husband. And in truth, even if the husband did not exist, the monks would not bind a woman against her will. Balran's eyebrows went up. Are you sure? The war chief nodded. Their doctrine prohibits it. No. Balran waved his hands dismissively. Are you sure it is against her will? Vered had not considered that. She is a slave, he replied. Even if she told the monks that she wished to bond with me, they would not believe her. Balran scratched his chin, then shrugged. So let her go. What? Release her. If you care for her as you say, let her decide for herself. Vered chuckled. If you were collared and enslaved for a year and then released, what would you do? I would kill them all, Balran said casually. But then I have Bola to return to. My wife is beautiful and kind, and I would resent every day I was forced away from her. It does not sound like your elven girl feels the same about her mate. He smiled again. And from what my men heard last night, the girl seems to like you plenty. Vered felt a brief glimmer of hope. Perhaps it could be done, after all. Perhaps there is a way. Perhaps. He shook himself, then let out a deep sigh. When we raided Aronia's village, her husband fled. He is scattered to the winds somewhere. Vered sat still in his saddle for a moment as he collected his thoughts. We will likely need to free our elven captives when we reach agreement with these villagers. I will release her to them, and she can return to her people. Balran looked unconvinced, but he saluted nonetheless. We will be with you no matter what. The leaders trust your judgment, war chief. If I am to live up to that title, I must put the needs of our people first. Reaching accord with these elves would provide opportunities that our kind have never known. I will do what is necessary. Ah, yes, those supposed new allies again. Have any of our scouts returned with news? 
Vered's voice took on a more stoic tone. Five have come back, and as best they can tell, the elves did not lie. A large troll force lies to the south of town. The villagers have put up a large wall and moat to keep them at bay. Balron was impressed. Resourceful for a farming village. Resourcefulness has never been their kind's weakness. He replied. But that wasn't the most important news they came back with. I had told the scouts to keep watch for any trolls on their way up north, and to kill any they saw. Verit paused meaningfully. They saw none. The trolls' scouts are stationed to their west, not to their south. The older orc's eyebrows furrowed as he considered the news, then shot back up. The elven capital is to the west. They expect the elven lords to come to the village's defense. Verit nodded and they most certainly do not suspect the defense will come from orcs instead. Lucky for us. Lucky for us, indeed. We cannot count on it, but let us hope our luck holds. Vared's men marched relentlessly through the day, stopping only briefly for meals. As nightfall arrived, his orcs were only a couple of hours outside the elven village of Thorin, precisely as planned. The scouts had all returned by that point and all told the same story as the first few the troll encampment was situated just outside the village, and they had sent no patrol of their own southward. He and Balron had fallen back in the afternoon to ride beside the other officers. The group had already gone over the plans a dozen times during the evening's ride, but there was nothing to do but discuss them further. My men say there is a large hill less than a mile out from the village, Dakar said. Once we crest over that, there will be no more hiding. Vered nodded. If we remain undetected, we will come charging over that hill at full gallop. Give them no time. Archers remain on the ridge. Ogre's tribe had always been fond of chain armor, and it rattled as the orc spoke. And if we do not remain undetected? Then I will lead half the great wolves to the troll's eastern flank, replied Vered. And you and Marak will lead the other half to the west. Still... We should do everything we can to maintain our advantage. Vered looked over his shoulder. Agatha? A lean, sinewy orc woman loped forward on her great wolf, her face slashed with white paint as if clawed by an animal. Agatha had been the leader of the Snow Fong for many decades. The Fong were one of only a few matriarchal tribes, and once Vered had made clear he would respect their customs, Agatha had proved one of his earliest and most loyal supporters. Are your ghosts ready? Vered asked her. The orc woman nodded. Always. Orcs were often known for their raw strength, but rarely for their stealth. Agatha and her assassins defied those latter expectations. We have an hour or two of riding still ahead of us, Vered told her. For this last push, make sure the troll's eyes do not see us, and their ears do not hear us. Without a word, Agatha pulled her dagger from its sheath and pressed it against her heart then turned back to gather her warriors. As she left, Verit heard an orc he did not recognize call out behind them. War Chief Verit. The orc hurried to catch up to the officers. He was a brown orc, short in stature. When he saw the orc's tattoos, Verit remembered him as Dakar's third in command. War Chief, an envoy has arrived. He wishes to speak with you. Verit motioned permissively. Bring him to us. The orc saluted and dashed back off into the darkness. Balran rubbed his chin. Perhaps we have been found out after all. 
if the trolls had found us out, Varad said, they would hardly send an envoy to tell us. When Dakar's third returned, a cloaked figure followed him, riding a very tired-looking horse. The figure urged the horse on until it caught up with the Orsish officers, then fell in line with them. When he finally took down his hood, Varad saw that the man was an elf. The elf had a genial face with bright blue eyes much like Aronia's, and he wore a warm expression. He turned to face Varad, put fist to chest, and saluted. War Chief Varad, the elf said in Orsish. It is an honor to finally meet you. There was palpable surprise among many of the lieutenants. Marak spoke first. An elf that speaks Orsish? The elf turned to him and smiled. He had a high, lilting voice. Stranger things have happened. There could be an orc war chief who spoke elvish, instead. A few of the officers laughed, and the elf took the opportunity to introduce himself. My name is Nairin. I come on behalf of the Council of Thorin. The orcs hailed him, but Dakar remained curious. Did an orc teach you our tongue? Dakar asked. I did not think the elves took much interest in our kind. Most seemed to think us savages. I studied at the Elven Citadel for several years, and I took an interest in your language while reading through the library. I only came home to assist my mother after my father passed. As the elf spoke, Verd was inspecting his horse, and he finally realized why it looked so exhausted. It was a farm animal, ill-prepared for nights like this one. Verd had expected that Elven council members would hold themselves above such laborious work. Are all village council members farmers like you? Ah, uh, no, war chief, Nairin demurred. Though I see why you ask. I am not of the council myself, but it was I who recommended to the council that we reach out to you for aid. Verid cocked an eyebrow. I suspect that took quite a bit of convincing. It did. I had suggested it months ago, but the council resisted until our situation grew dire. Nairin paused, then sat upright on his horse as he continued. At the citadel, I was fascinated by Orsish culture. I did not find a taste for your poetry. He shuddered slightly. But your monks are remarkable healers, and I had read that orc chieftains were more charitable to their commoners than our own lords are to theirs. He shrugged. We had few options, so eventually the council agreed to take the risk. I suppose we should be grateful, Verid added. But this is a dangerous time to find us. We are not far from battle. Are you sure you were not followed? Nairin responded vigorously. I am sure, war chief. I took every precaution I could. And what precautions were those? Balran interjected. Your horse hardly seems suited for stealth or speed. As soon as our messenger returned and told us your intentions, I sent the village's four best riders on our four best horses galloping westward, toward the elven capital. We have long since given up hope of support from them. But the trolls do not know that. Verid finished for him. And you hoped they would chase after. Nairin nodded. And they did. Their eyes and ears all moved west to pursue them. If fortune favors us, our riders can double back by week's end. If the tribal leaders were unsure what to think of Nairin until now, this seemed to decide things in his favor. The orcs roared, and Balron slapped the elf enthusiastically on the back. Nicely done, lad the orc said. Nicely done. Perhaps these elves will make good allies, after all. It helps explain our luck.
Verd replied flatly. But we can never be too cautious. The war chief saw Agatha returning with a dozen other orc women. The Snow Fawn clan lived in the mountains, and their great wolves were typically white to hide them amidst the frost. Down here on the plains, however, the orc women had each rubbed mud into the wolves' pelts to help disguise them. Agatha looked at Verid and awaited command. The scouts may have already been dealt with, Verid told her, and he gestured toward Nairin. We have been assisted by our elven friend here, but we should leave nothing to chance. Ride out, and we will meet you on the battlefield. Agatha saluted once more. She made a whooping sound, then produced several hand gestures that only her ghosts were privy to. The orc women fanned out in a cone ahead of them, then their great wolves bounded off into the darkness, silent as the grave. By now, they were less than an hour outside the troll encampment. Dakar, instruct the line behind us to tread quietly from here on, Verid said. We are in the thick of it, now. When Aronia finally stirred in the morning, she shuffled from the tent she had shared with Verid to find the surrounding area shockingly empty. Most of the carts, supplies, and soldiers had departed before dawn, and she had somehow slept through it entirely. She had been very tired. There were a few squires still lingering about and organizing supplies, and as Aronia watched them, she realized she was not quite sure what she was supposed to do. Luckily, Verid seemed to have thought of that. A few moments after she came outside, two heavily armored orcs approached her, and they saluted her with fist to chest. The taller one spoke first. My lady, the United Tribes rode out before dawn and the war chief has asked that you remain on the palace grounds until we receive orders from the front line. Once we have been given word, we are to escort you to the village of Thorin. Aronia was momentarily taken aback. They spoke to her as if she were a noblewoman herself. And what am I to do there, in Thorin? She asked them, mimicking their formal tone. The war chief has requested your presence as an emissary when he meets with the village council. The shorter one said. We are to make sure you arrive safely. We expect word to move by nightfall. If the orcs were bothered by orders to protect and escort an elven woman, they did not show it. Aronia nodded graciously. I am thankful to you both, she told them, and the guards stood up a little straighter. But you say we may not leave until nightfall. How should I prepare in the meantime? The two orcs stood silently and looked at one another and it became clear that they had not been given direction for this. I suggest you rest, my lady, the taller one said eventually. It will be several days' journey to the village. Aronia considered for a moment. She hardly thought she would be able to sleep, but having no better plan, she allowed the guards to escort her back to her quarters in the palace. As she expected, Aronia found herself unable to doze. She had already slept long and there was simply too much at stake in the current moment to relax. She shuffled nervously about her room worrying about Verid, worrying about the elves, and worrying about her own future. At midday, there was a knock at her door, and Aronia opened it to find Bola. The orc woman greeted her warmly, carrying a fine orsish dress in her hands. I thought we might get ready for the journey together, Bola told her. I shall be accompanying you to the elven village. You shall accompany me? Aronia asked pointedly. Should it not be the other way around? Bolas shook her head. Not for this. For this meeting, you are far more important than I. 
Aronia was sure her friend had meant that as flattery, but it only served to heighten the anxiety she had been wrestling with all morning. The elven girl's brow furrowed, and she traced a hand idly over her collar. Despite all that had transpired, and despite her true affection for Vered, she was still a slave. Once they arrived at Thorin to meet the village council, she was not quite sure what was going to happen. Sensing her worry, Bola reached up and pulled the elf's hand away from her collar. You know you are more than a simple slave, now. Aronia let out a nervous laugh. Vered told me something similar last night. Because it is true, Bola replied matter-of-factly. She took Aronia's hands in her own. Do you consider us friends? She asked the elf. Aronia put on a confused expression. Of course. And do you care for Vered? I do, Aronia said. She hesitated, considering how much more to confess. Very much. Bola squeezed her hands. You have shown Vered you have shown all of us that an elf can be generous, and humble, and kind. Without you, this alliance never would have been possible. The orc woman looked into Aronia's eyes. That is why Vered wants you there. You are living proof that the two races can care for one another. Aronia tried to put on a brave smile. She hoped her friend was right. Come, Bola said, motioning Aronia to a seat by her dressing table. Let us get you ready. You are an emissary of the United Tribes now your old clothes simply will not do. Over the next few hours, the two women discussed preparations for travel, and Bola wove the elf's silvery hair into a row of tight braids that ran across her scalp and down her shoulders, a style often worn by the wives of Orsish dignitaries. Bola then presented Aronia with the brightly patterned dress she brought with her. The gown was slashed with various shades of blue and red, and it bore the insignia of Vered's Dusk Wolf clan on its front. It was much richer and more elaborate than the Orsish skirts she had become accustomed to wearing as a slave. She had seen a few of the elegant gowns that the elvish aristocracy wore, but as a peasant, Aronia could never have hoped to own one herself. Aronia inspected herself in the mirror and was pleased with what she saw. She had never looked as dignified and regal as she did now. Still, she felt out of place. The soldiers this morning saluted me as if I were Vered himself she told her friend. And now all of this. It feels strange. Bola put her hands comfortingly on the elven girl's shoulders. I told you that you represent the United Tribes, now. Our emissaries should demonstrate the splendor and majesty of the orcs. Bola leaned forward and smiled as she met Aronia's eyes in the mirror. Though few make it look as pretty as you do. After feeling Aronia's braids and confirming that they held, Bola brought forth two bowls of paints, one red and one white. We must redo your face as well, Bola said as she wiped the last bits of yesterday's war paints from the elven girl's cheeks. She smiled slyly. You certainly made a mess of yours last night. Bola took out a brush this time, then used it to apply the colors slowly and carefully. She ran a red stripe down the ridge of Aronia's nose then created an intricate pattern of red and white bands on each cheek. Finally, Bola applied three lines running from Aronia's lower lip to her chin, the middle one white with and a red one to either side. Bola encouraged Aronia to get up again, and the elf examined herself more closely this time. She twirled, and the dress flowed beautifully as she did so. Unlike elven clothing, Orsish dresses flattered her voluptuous figure, 
and this one did so more than any other. Aroni admired the way her silvery hair looked in the tightly woven orsish braids, and the elaborate face paint highlighted her pale complexion. It was all a striking contrast against her delicate elven features. Do you like it? Bola asked her. Aronia beamed. It is gorgeous. The orc woman shook her head. You are gorgeous. This only brings out what is already there. Aronia laughed as she did another twirl in the mirror. She had gone her entire life feeling homely, bulky, and unfeminine. After a year with the orcs, she had gradually become comfortable and happy in her own skin. She liked the way she looked, but she knew Kalan would have found this new styling vulgar and ugly. Kalan, Aronia remembered suddenly. My husband is Kalan. The thought hit her like a thunderbolt, and her mood darkened again immediately. Kalan had always detested how tall she was for an elf and he reminded her constantly that her wide hips and prominent backside were signs of low-breeding features her new dress only accentuated. He was still out there somewhere, and if she were ever freed, she knew she would be obligated to return to him. Aronia's ears flicked anxiously, and she began to wring her hands. She turned from the mirror to face her friend, and she asked her the same questions she had asked Vered the night before. I am grateful for this, Aronia said. Truly. But I doubt the village council will be pleased to see elven slaves, no matter how well kempt they may be. Aronia sighed. What will happen once the meeting is over? What will happen to me? Bola's lips tightened, and she remained silent for a moment before speaking. I do not know what will happen tomorrow. I do not know if you will return with us or stay with them. The orc placed a hand on her own heart, then pressed it to Aronia's. But I do know this. We will always be friends. Always. If you wish to stay, you know you have a home here. Aronia found it difficult to speak. There was much she struggled to admit to, even to herself. I do want to stay. She said out loud for the first time, to her own surprise. I do. But my people, they expect me. Stop. Bola cut her friend off, her voice suddenly exasperated and impatient. No, I won't have it any longer. I won't. The elves are not your people, Ari. Bola took a deep breath to compose herself. I am sorry, Ari, but it is true. The elves are not your people. Nor are the orcs, for that matter. She took Aronia's hands in hers again, and her voice became gentler. Your people are those you love, and those who love you. Nothing more. It is your choice to make even a slave has the freedom to choose whom they love. No one can force that on you. Aronia thought back on her time with Vered in the tent last night. She remembered what he had told her, and what she had told him. The elf shook her head with confusion. I care deeply for you, sister, she said hesitantly. And for Vered. But my family, my husband, I... There was a knock at the door, and it opened to reveal the tall Orsish guard who had escorted Aronia that morning. He halted for a moment, sensing he had interrupted something. Eventually, he decided to speak. We have received word, my lady. It is time. He motioned for the two women to follow. Aronia and Bola looked at one another, then slowly made their way to the door. It was late, and Janari sat in the tent next to Tanjin, picking at the remains of the stew the troll army had been given. Their tribe, the Yetu, had been stationed outside the elven village of Thorin for many months now 
and while their leaders believed the elven supplies were running low, the troll's own provisions had grown perilously thin. This gruel was barely edible. As Tanjin stirred his own scraps, the young troll seemed to be having similar thoughts. I can't stand this any longer, Tanjin said. Why can't we just reach some agreement with the jackal? The jackal were another troll tribe, and they were the reason the supplies ran so low. The jackal had been stealing foodstuffs from Yetu supply carts as they traveled across the plains. And what share the spoils from this village? Janari asked derisively. Tanjin looked exasperated. Better than starving. Janari heard thunder in the distance, and he picked food out of his chip tusk. The tusk had been broken several years ago in battle, and it caused constant problems when eating. We've been fighting here for a long time. Janari responded. I'm not letting some other tribe take half our cut now. Tanjin shifted awkwardly. I'm only saying we might have taken the village already if we did. I can't be the only one tired of this place. The thunder grew louder. It was going to storm hard tonight. I say, don't speak such things to the boss man. Janari sneered. He would not want to hear it. Tanjin threw up his hands defensively. I just think you think nothing. Janari replied tersely. And that is why you are stuck here with me. Watch your tongue or you'll end up in tomorrow's stew. For trolls, that was no idle threat. The two sat in silence, and Janari decided to go to bed. He could tell Tanjin was sulking. Tanjin proceeded to lounge alone, and he continued to stir the remains of his dinner. After a while, his brow furrowed, and he set his bowl down as he sat fully upright. Yanni, the young troll said quietly. Janari was very nearly asleep now and he tried to ignore him. Yanni. Tanjin's voice was more insistent this time. He reached a hand out and shook his fellow soldier. Yanni. Finally, Janari sat up. What? What in summer's fury do you want? The thunder, Tanjin said. It is not right. Janari groaned. Do not be a fool. We have plenty of rain catchers outside. We can. The troll trailed off and he tilted his head to listen more closely. The noise had grown louder still, and somehow steadier than thunder had any right to be. Janari shook himself as he stood up, then he pulled the flaps of their tent open. He stepped outside and looked in the direction of the storm. But there was no storm. Glowing in the light of the full moon, an orc army rolled over the hills to the south, the front guard barreling straight for their camp. At their head was a giant gray orc riding the largest great wolf Janari had ever seen. He carried a huge battle axe with a single hand, and he bellowed something in Orsish that Janari could not understand. Few things could frighten a troll, but Janari froze as he looked at the coming onslaught. What are they doing here? He thought. Do they want the town for themselves? They would need to fight us, and then the elves themselves. There must be easier targets for their raids. So why? Why here? Eventually, Janari felt someone shaking his arm, and he snapped back to attention. He turned to find Tanjin was speaking to him. However frightened Janari felt inside, Tanjin's face was worse. Yanni! Yanni, where do we go? Janari blinked, his brain working slowly. The boss man, he told him. Get the boss man. The two made their way through the encampment as quickly as they could. 
The grounds were now swarming with troll soldiers, most waking from sleep and completely disoriented. They saw trolls scrambling from tent to tent, reaching for bows, spears, anything they could find. Order and discipline had broken down before the fight had even begun. When they reached the captain's tent, Janari stepped inside, hoping to find someone anyone with a plan. Instead, Janari found three orc women, their faces painted white, daggers glistening in their hands. The captain lay dead in his own bed, his two guards motionless on the ground beside him. The only troll still living was a whore who had scurried to the corner of the tent, naked and afraid. She was covered in the captain's blood, and she lay on the ground, holding an arm over her face as she faintly begged for mercy. The orc woman in front had seen Janari immediately, and all three now looked directly at him. The one in front made a motion with her hands, then the other two stepped to her side in some sort of formation. Quietly they began skulking towards him, their movements fluid and deadly. Desperate to survive, Janari made a pathetic motion toward the whore in the corner. He pointed at her, trying to suggest he was there for her, and the orc women stopped moving. Whether the orc in front decided he was not a threat or simply not worth the killing, she made another signal with her hands, and the three orcs began retreating toward the back of the room, eyes still on him. They smoothly stepped through the tear they had made when they had first entered the tent, and like that, they were gone. Janari realized he had not taken a breath for a long while. He inhaled deeply, then looked back down at the whore. Go, he told her. She looked up at him, her eyes wide, her hands still shaking. Go, he repeated. Finally, the girl shot up and bolted from the tent, not caring for a moment to find her clothes. When Janari stepped back outside, Tanjean was waiting for him, staring after the whore who was running naked from the camp as fast as she could. He looked back at Janari with concern on his face. Boss man is dead, Janari told him. We on our own. Whatever Tanjean had hoped to hear, that was not it. His face grew even paler. Then what now? the younger troll asked. Janari did not know but there was no one smarter around to tell them what to do. He ran for the closest tent, finding a maul and spear. He handed the spear to Tanjean. Now we fight, Janari said, and the two began to make their way toward the southern edge of the camp. As they moved, Janari scanned the camp's perimeter. The troll night guard, such as it was, had been entirely situated along the edge of the elven town to the north. Whoever commanded them had made the call to move the line southward to protect against the oncoming Orsish horde. As they shifted away, the trolls' backs faced the town walls, and the elven archers, apparently still prepared for battle in the dead of night, began to volley them with arrows. By the time the guard arrived at the south, a third of their number had already fallen. The orc riders had reached the first rows of tents, and Janari saw the remains of the night guard break rank and wither almost instantly. It was too late. It was all just too late. When Tanjean and Janari finally reached the battle themselves, most of the tents were already ablaze, and the wolf riders ran freely, striking down bewildered trolls in every direction. Orsish archers had been stationed on the hilltop, and the troll forces were pelted with arrows coming from both the elves in the north and the orcs in the south. Janari looked to Tanjean. Whatever resolve the young troll had was long since gone. Janari sighed, then told Tanjin the same thing he had told the whore. 
Go. Tanjin looked to him confusedly. Janari's voice was quiet and defeated. Run. Save yourself. Tanjin hesitated for a moment, making sure this was not a trap of some kind. Slowly, the troll set his spear to the ground, then he began running eastward as fast as his feet would carry him. When Janari turned back to the battle, the front lines had reached him. The tent ahead of him collapsed in fire, and that hulking gray orc strode across it, his plate armor caked in dirt and blood, his golden eyes shining in the moonlight. The orc held up his axe and roared, and his soldiers charged ahead. Janari's last thought was to wonder one last time why the orcs were even here. It made no sense. Whatever the reason, this was over. He let them all slip from his hands, and he heard it hit the ground with a dull thud. Janari closed his eyes. It was the darkest part of night, though the forest around Aronia glimmered beneath the full moon, and she knew they were getting close. The convoy she and Bola traveled with consisted of two dozen orc guards in total, and most of the other elven slaves traveled with them, along with a few orsish wives eager to see their husbands safe. The elven women were situated in the back of a large cart together, and Aronia sat amongst them, listening to the sounds of the wheels creak and groan as two woolly oxen pulled them forward. The other elves had been frightened at first. Few of them had taken the time to learn the Orsish language. So many were left entirely unaware of what was happening. Aronia had spent much of the last year helping these women and making sure that they were properly taken care of even in captivity, and most looked to her now for leadership. They signed some sort of treaty? asked Rena. Rena was young and had taken to life as an Orsish captive more easily than most of the older women. No treaty has been signed yet, Aronia replied, speaking in their native tongue. And we do not know what the outcome of the battle will be. Still, it is true that the orcs fight to save an elven village. To save an elven village? One of them asked incredulously. Aronia nodded. If all goes well, the orcs will sign a peace accord with the elves by morning. Several of the women shook their heads in astonishment, and a few let out audible sighs of relief. Right next to her, Aronia could see tears welling in Meloria's eyes, and she draped an arm around the girl comfortingly. Like many elves from the far south, Meloria had fiery red hair. She had moved north to their village when she had married her husband. Meloria looked up at Aronia and smiled. My taser, she said. I know I will find him and we will be joined again. She rocked back and forth. Taser, I am coming. We do not know yet if we will be freed. Amra told the girl bitterly. Amra was the oldest elf among them, and she had a famously prickly disposition. She glanced around at the Orsish guards surrounding the cart to see if they were listening. None of them spoke elvish. And even if they gave us their word, I wouldn't trust these pigs to keep it. One of the women named Shale shrugged. That would be fine with me. Shale was an especially fair-skinned girl who had jet black hair and darkly colored eyes, an unusual combination for an elf. I do not want to leave, anyway. Aronia heard many of the women gasp, and Shale threw her hands in the air defensively. I do not have a husband to return to like Meloria does, she said, and my orc Urag enjoys my cooking. I've even gotten him to try some elven dishes and he gets me pomegranates and spice nuts once a month to bake with. One of the other women clucked her tongue. You will not have children, 
she said. The races are not fertile together. Shale's eyes bulged. I am not sleeping with him, you dolt. I don't want children from any man, let alone you rag. She cocked her head. But he treats me well. I have my own bed, and it is soft and larger than the one I had back in the village. You mean the village these orcs burned? Amra shot back bitterly. Shale's lips tightened, but she had no response. Leave her alone, Aronia said. The orcs have been kinder to us than we are to our own prisoners. Half of the Orsish slaves we capture are dead within a year. Amra scoffed derisively, then she reached across the cart and rolled some of Aronia's Orsish braids between her fingers. The older elf motioned toward Shale. That one may not be mating with her beast, she said, still running her fingers through Aronia's hair. But this one certainly is. Aronia slapped her hand away, but Amra just moved it to Aronia's dress, examining the colorful cloth. Amra sneered at her. Oh yes, look at this garish costume she puts on. Look at that orsish paint on her face. We can all see what you've become the girl has gone native. Aronia stared daggers at her, and if she did not still have an arm around Meloria, she might have raised fists. When we were first captured, I was the one who made sure that all of us had roofs and beds. Aronia's voice was hot with anger. I was the one who taught the orcs that we are not the cruel, arrogant monsters they have always believed us to be. Where were you then, Amra? Or is it much easier to speak now that we may all be freed? Amra's sneer was undiminished, but before she could respond, there was a shout from ahead of their cart. Ari! came the cry. Ari! It was Bola, and she hurried to the side of the cart with a scout following just behind her. The scouts had been returning to them every hour with updates on the fight ahead. It is over. Bola said jubilantly to her in Orsish, seemingly unaware of all the other women nearby. We have won. The trolls did not expect us, and we had stormed their camp before they could even ready for battle. Bola smiled broadly, relief plain on her face. Varad and Balran are both safe, and the elven town is intact. We have won. What does she say? Meloria asked eagerly, unable to understand the orc's tongue. What has happened? Aronia turned to her. The orcs have won the battle. The trolls were routed, and the village is safe. Now we must wait to see what comes of it. Amra leaned forward. We wait to see if your pet pigs are as good as their word, you mean. If Amra had meant that to be heard just by the elven women, she had failed. Bola scowled at her and loomed menacingly. Those pet pigs you speak of. She quickly shot back at her in elvish. Just saved many elven lives. And if Aronia were as wretched as you, they would still be awaiting salvation from the elven lords who had long since forsaken them. Amra's eyes went wide. For the first time, she looked rattled. She had clearly not expected the orc woman to know their tongue. Bola ran her gaze across the other elven captives. Be glad you have Aronia here. She told them. Without her, none of this would have happened. This time, Amra stayed silent. Once Bola was satisfied that the older elf had been subdued, she spoke again. Get some rest, the orc woman said flatly. We still have many hours ahead of us. That was a suggestion all could agree to. It was late into the night, and Aronia could feel that she was exhausted enough to sleep again. The elven women shuffled around the cart slightly, 
resting against one another and getting comfortable. After giving Amra one last dirty look, Aronia lay her head against Maloria's shoulder, and within minutes, the dream had taken her. Aronia awoke to the feel of the cart halting, and she opened her eyes to find the morning sun had already risen. As she looked around, she saw a line of Orsish wolf riders approaching them in the distance, and she realized that the cart must have arrived at its destination. As Aronia disentangled herself from Maloria and the other elven women, Bola walked up to her from nearby. She had stayed close to the cart. You are awake, Bola said in Orsish. Good. I didn't want to leave you alone with that old hag she doesn't seem the forgiving type. She smiled at her friend, then motioned over the hill nearby. The army has set up camp just north of here, and we are to meet with the village council within the hour. Aronia moved off the cart and stretched gently, then looked back at the other elven captives. They will come later, Bola said, sensing her thoughts. For now, let us meet with the leaders. The wolf riders trotted up, and Aronia saw that they had brought two wolves without owners along with them. One of the riders moved forward and put fist to chest. I am here to escort you to the command tent, the one in front said. The officers await you both. Without hesitation, Bola strode to them and mounted one of the unclaimed great wolves. The orc woman looked to her friend expectantly, but Aronia hesitated. I've never ridden one before. Bola laughed. They will like you, she said. I am sure of it. The orc was eager to get going and see her husband again. Aronia approached cautiously. The pure black great wolf looked at her with its golden eyes, the same color as Verid's. She reached a hand out and placed it on the wolf's head. Slowly she began to stroke his fur, trying to convince that she meant no harm, and the wolf leaned into her. Aronia moved to the animal's side and pulled herself up, then straddled the beast. The wolf stayed steady for her. The soldiers nearby began to move their wolves toward the camp, and Bola followed suit. Aronia took a deep breath and stroked the wolf's mane again, then urged it forward. The wolf did not buck or protest, and it quickly pursued after the others. Bola had been right the wolf seemed to take to her readily. The ride to the camp was short, and when they arrived, Aronia was amazed to see that everything was already neat and orderly. There had been a great battle nearby just hours before, yet the orcs looked well situated and properly guarded. Verid maintained discipline, and it showed. The wolf riders led the two women to the command tent, and Aronia stepped inside. Verid stood in its center, still wearing his battle armor, and he loomed over a lone troll prisoner. The hulking orc was covered in dirt and had scorch marks crisscrossing his chest plate, but even now, Aronia found him incredibly handsome. Verid looked over at her, and his face warmed briefly. He was glad to see her, but he had work to do. The troll was clearly frightened and he looked up at the war chief, hands clasped behind his back as he knelt on the ground. The captive spoke a few words in that oddly slurred troll language, and Aronia noticed he had a chipped tusk on one side of his mouth. Verid was trying to communicate with him, but his understanding of the troll's language was much worse than his elvish. Aronia knew this was by necessity. Unlike the elves and orcs, the troll tribes each spoke their own dialect, significantly different than the others. It made learning their languages for an outsider nearly impossible, but also kept the trolls from ever uniting properly into a single force. Verid would speak a few words to the troll, 
and once it was clear the troll did not fully understand, he would try a slightly different tone. Each time, the troll's face appeared blank. After a while, the troll looked over at Aronia, and his expression grew confused. He looked back to Varad, then back at her. He seemed to be trying to figure out exactly what she was doing there. Finally, as Varad tried yet another dialect, the troll's eyes snapped squarely back to him. Whatever Varad had shifted to, the troll seemed to comprehend, and he bent his head submissively. Varad took breathe a sigh of relief, then crouched down so that he could look the troll in the eyes. Aronia could not tell what her master was saying, but the troll was nodding eagerly, almost desperately at him now. The two exchanged words for some time, and then Varad looked over to Ogre. Release his chains. Ogre was just as confused as Aronia was, but he obeyed the warchief's order. Finally freed, the troll reached his hands around and soothed his wrists. Still on his knees, the troll looked back and forth between the Orsish leaders, trying to make sure none of them would secretly move to strike him down. Varad spoke to Ogre again. Make sure this one is given food and water, then send him east, toward the troll havens. He is our messenger to the other troll tribes, to make sure they know what has happened here. The elves are under our protection now. Ogre lifted the troll up by the arm, and Varad turned back to Aronia. He motioned to her, and she eagerly went to him, placing her elven hand in his armored gauntlet. As the troll was escorted from the tent, his eyes went wide. If he had not quite understood why Aronia was there before, he did now. The troll twisted his head so he could continue to gawk at the couple until Ogre finally pulled him out of sight. Before they could speak, Dakar came forward. War chief, the scribes are ready, and will be present at the meeting to record all agreements. The wolf riders are prepared to escort them. Send four riders back to the carts Aronia arrived on, Varad replied, and gather the other elven captives. We should have them present in case. He paused. In case their freedom becomes a requirement of the treaty. Dakar looked at Aronia, then back to the war chief, and saluted. He swiftly left the tent. Balran was next to approach, with Bola at his side. He looked at Verd with his good eye. Is anything else needed before we meet the council, war chief? No, Verd replied, shaking his head. The preparations have been made. Just give us a moment. Bola gave Aronia a warm look as she exited the tent with her husband, and it was only then that Aronia really looked around to see that tent had been emptied, and she stood in its center with Varad, alone. When Aronia gazed up at her master, she realized she was struggling to think of what to say. There was quiet between them, now. In the past, these silent moments were often pregnant, full of tenderness and affection, but here it felt awkward and difficult. They looked as if they each wanted to say something to the other but did not know how. We had to meet the council shortly, Varad told Aronia. He gently gripped her hands in his gauntlet, and his voice was stiff. We will decide the terms of the accord there. Aronia cleared her throat. Of course, she said. I will be ready to assist the tribes however I can. If all the elven captives are to be released— I entrust you to make sure the rest are protected and kept safe. You will be amongst elves, but this is not your village. Varad's voice was formal, and Aronia nodded as she looked down at the ground. The distance between them seemed to be growing with every word. I will be ready to aid them as well, she said as she stared at the grass beneath them.
I know they will be grateful to be back amongst the elves. For many of them, it has been a hard year. Aronia could feel Vered studying her. And for you? The elven girl glanced back up at him. She opened her mouth to respond, then closed it again. She felt a sadness at the thought of returning to her husband, but deeply ashamed of herself for feeling that way, she felt a responsibility to aid the other captives, but guilty that she did not truly want to go with them. In the end, she knew she had no choice. It is my duty to return with them, master, she said finally. I must seek out my husband and find him, wherever he is. Aronia did not know what answer Vered had hoped for, but that had clearly not been it. For the first time in her memory, Vered looked wounded. She could not bear it, and she looked away from him once more. She could feel tears welling in her eyes, and she hastily wiped them away before they could smudge her face paint. Suddenly, Vered lifted her chin up, and he stared into her again with those beautiful golden eyes. His face softened, and for a brief moment, he looked at her just as he had on so many nights before. Aronia, he whispered. My love, I. The huge orc trailed off. Whatever words he had gathered had abruptly failed him. Aronia's elven ears bent downward, and she went up on her toes to kiss him one last time. Vered pulled away. Both of us must do our duty, he said as he recoiled, his voice growing more formal again. You are right. We have an opportunity to unite our peoples, and we must do what is necessary to bring it about. Aronia did not know how to respond, and that awkward silence came rushing back. She waited there, hoping to see tenderness in his expression again, but it did not return. Vered had put up a wall. I must ready my great wolf, Sasha, he told her. I allowed her some rest after the long night's ride and the battle that followed. I will meet you with the others. Vered made to exit the same way the other orc leaders had, but Aronia did not budge, and she held his hand tightly. The massive, armored orc looked back to her, his arm outstretched and held in place by a small elven girl he could clearly overpower at any moment if he so desired. Aronia's ears flicked, and the two of them remained there, staring at one another wordlessly. Slowly and reluctantly, Aronia released his hand. Vered stood motionless for one last moment. Then he opened the flaps of the tent and vanished from sight. Though she had spent the night crowded into a cart with dozens of other elves, Aronia felt terribly alone. The ride to the village was longer than the one from the carts had been, yet Aronia's wolf was just as steady and patient with her as it had been before. Vered rode at the front, and though she glanced at him constantly, his face remained stony and resolved, transfixed on the horizon. The heartache Aronia felt was sharp and constant, now. She had tried putting up her own walls, as Vered had, but they crumbled each time she tried. Only the rock in her stomach remained. As they approached the town, Aronia could see elves waiting outside the village perimeter, and there were quite a few more of them than she had expected. The council stood out furthest, but scores of elves stood behind them, waiting to catch a glimpse of their strange and surprising new allies. When they were close enough, Vered brought Sasha to a halt and dismounted, and Aronia and the rest of the orcs followed his lead. Vered scanned the elves ahead then turned. Aronia, Dakar, and I will go ahead, he told his officers. The rest will stay back here. Several of the lieutenants were surprised. Are you certain? 
Marak asked. There are at least a hundred elves there. Varid's voice carried far, and they were quite close to the elves now, so he replied quietly. Look at them. I see two archers among their ranks, and the rest carry rakes or sticks, if they carry anything at all. Look at their faces. These are not soldiers, they are frightened farmers, elves who have never seen an orc with their own eyes. The fewer of us who approach, the better. Marak looked across the way, examining. Slowly, he acquiesced. If you need us, war chief, we will be here. Varad began to move forward, and Aronia quickly followed at his side. As they approached, Aronia could see just as many eyes on her as there were on Varad. However shocking a sight it was to see an armored orc, it was just as shocking to see an elven woman riding a great wolf and wearing orsish attire and face paints. The council stood out slightly from the rest, a group of twelve elven men of various ages. The youngest council member, who looked no older than Aronia herself, was standing in the back of the group. As Varad came to a halt in front of them, she heard the young elf speak. This is our new lord? He asked the man standing next to him. It is hideous. The other council members quickly whipped their heads around, and the one in front spoke first. Gallon, please. The older elf spoke forcefully through clenched teeth. Our new lord speaks elvish. The young man looked to the elder councilman, then looked to Varad, then back again. His face paled. His mouth dropped open uselessly, suddenly unable to form words, and as Aronia glared at him, she felt a spike of anger. You wouldn't know handsome if it slapped you in the face, boy. Unlike Aronia, Varad remained mercifully unperturbed. He raised a hand and spoke. It is of no consequence, he told them in Elvish. My duty is to protect the village, so our enemies should fear me. No one fears a pretty war chief. The council stood silently, seemingly unsure how to react. Finally, the one in front let out a sharp laugh, and the rest promptly followed suit. The boy tried his best to chuckle along with them, his face equal parts terror and relief. As the laughter died down, the councilman in front spoke again. He had especially long ears, even for an elf. His hair was gray, but his eyes still looked sharp, and he wore the practiced smile of a politician. I am Henolan, though many call me Hen. The elf bowed. I am the leader of our humble council. It is an honor to meet you, my lord. And I you, Varad replied. But I am a war chief, not an elven lord. Hen's smile did not falter. Of course, war chief. Of course. He looked carefully at Aronia and Dakar. And who might your companions be? Dakar is second in command, and I trust him with my life. He will lead the defenses whenever they are needed. Aronia has been a teacher to me. She showed the orcs that we can trust an elf. Henolan gestured diplomatically towards her. Then we are grateful to you as well, my lady. What a service you have done your people. Splendid. Tell me, how did an elven woman find herself amongst the Orsish tribes? Aronia hesitated before responding. She looked to Varad, and he nodded reassuringly toward her. She decided to tell the truth. I was taken captive during a raid on my village over a year ago. The councilman's face went blank. He glanced at Varad, then his smile recovered. Ah. Well. Those days will be gone soon, at least. Henolan motioned toward the rest of the council. Please, war chief, come, come. 
Let us finalize the terms of this most fortunate accord. Henolan introduced Vera to the rest of the council. The scribes were called in, and over the next hour, the two sides worked out the details of their arrangement. They decided exactly what territory, and which peoples, now fell under Vered's domain, what powers Vered now held, and how he would wield them. Aronia and Nairin, the elf who had met with Vered the day before, worked together to make sure both the Orsish and Elven scribes understood and translated properly. The business was long and tedious, but necessary. Occasionally, as they worked, Aronia could feel one of the elven villagers leering at her. Many of them had gawked at her painted face and braided hair, but this felt different from the others almost like spying. She couldn't tell what it was, but whenever she looked over, the face ducked back into the crowd. As the treaty neared completion, Aronia finally began to accept that this was truly happening, and that the orcs and elves, against all expectations, would soon be allies. She was proud of it, but despondent at the same time. Aronia continued to steal glances at Vered whenever she could, hoping to see warmth in his eyes, but his face remained stubbornly inscrutable. Henolin had scuttled back over to them. All of this is most fortuitous, the council leader said. Most fortuitous. Splendid. But the last considerations are always most important. Henolin raised a hand as he continued. The old elf's obsequious disposition had persisted throughout. We are a modest people, but as the first of the elves to join the United Tribes, we feel it important that there is some representation amongst the leadership. To ensure our voice is heard, war chief. Vered's expression remained implacable. If he was angered by the suggestion, he hid it well. A fair request, Vered said after a moment's pause. It shall be done. Henolan bowed almost comically deeply. Thank you, war chief, we are most grateful. I would like to humbly recommend mice. Nairin, Vered said, interrupting the council leader. Nairin would be suitable. Hen lifted himself out of his bow. His smile was gone, and he looked over at Nairin, who still stood near the scribes, helping with the last of the translation. My lord war chief Nairin is a keen young boy, but he is a simple farmer. Surely for such a position, a more established member of the village would be preferred. Nairin is the reason the village reached out to us, is he not? He was also the one who sent your riders west, to distract the trolls. And he already speaks our tongue. Vered nodded confidently. He will make a fine leader. Henolan seemed to consider his options, but after a moment, he appeared to decide that Vered had him cornered. His smile returned. Of course, war chief. A fine choice. Hen raised his hand again. We also must request that the leader of our defenses stay with us at least for a time. We fear the trolls may return or, worse yet, some reprisal from our former elven lords. Vered looked to Dakar. Dakar had spent much of the meeting in silence, as he did not speak the elven tongue. Dakar peered back, then spoke to the war chief in Orsish. What is it? They wish you to stay here for a time to ensure they are properly defended. We would leave a portion of the army with you, in case. Dakar's eyes went wide, and he looked over at the council members. He ran a hand over his shaven scalp. We will need meals, but I suppose many of these villagers are farmers. The brown orc grimaced. I will have to learn to eat elven food. Dakar tilted his head back and forth restlessly. 
I will need to train some of the elves, too. A few archers will hardly be enough. He was trying to consider all the ramifications. Eventually he sighed, then threw up his hands in defeat. Very well. Tell them I will stay. Vered stifled a laugh. Best start learning their tongue as well, brother. The war chief turned back to Hanolin and spoke again in Elvish. Dakar will be happy to remain here for now. Satisfied, Hanolin bowed once more. When he stood back up, he clasped his hands together ceremoniously, and his eyes passed over Aronia. And of course, war chief, the last consideration, we must request the release of any elven captives you may have taken before our accord. Surely you understand that we cannot become subjects to an orc who would enslave our own kind. Vered hesitated, and his jaw tensed. He did not speak for a long while, but eventually he nodded in consent. Aronia's breath caught in her throat. At long last, this was it. Since the moment the elven messenger had walked into the great hall, Aronia had known, deep down, that this time would come it was inevitable, and necessary, and terrible, all at once. She had hoped when the time came that she would somehow know what to do, but Aronia felt just as confused as ever. The words she had spoken to Bola the day before flashed briefly through her mind. I do want to stay. I do. Aronia decided she needed to speak up. The orcs have been good to us, she interjected feebly. We are well fed, and they give us soft bedding and warm homes. None of us were put in cells, as we often do to Orsish prisoners. Henelin's face dripped with condescension. I am sure that is true, my lady. Still, we cannot allow our people to be captives of our own lord, you can see that, yes? The councilman reached out to touch her arm, but Aronia recoiled. I have made friends amongst the orcs, Aronia pressed. Vered, the war chief has been good to us. He has been good to me. She looked over at her master, desperately hoping that he would do something, anything. Instead, his face remained blank. Hanolin began to grow visibly impatient. Come now, Lady Aronia, please, the elf said, the smile forcibly plastered to his face. Let us bring you home and get you out of those strange clothes. Surely you have people waiting for you. A father? A mother? A husband, perhaps? Your people are those you love, and those who love you. Aronia felt her heart racing. Her head spun. Family. Yes, I, yes. My parents still live on the farm I was born to, and my husband Kalan escaped our village during the raids. Aronia looked over and saw the other elven captives standing near the Orsish army. Vered had given a signal, and one by one, their collars were released, falling to the ground in front of them with a distinctive, emphatic clank. The women began to hurry toward the elven village, and she could see Meloria sobbing, calling out for her husband. A love mate should not be a slave. Distracted as she was, Hanolin finally got a hold of Aronia's hand, and he patted her arm gently. Splendid, just splendid. Surely your family will be pleased to see you. Let us get this collar off you, then. We will have you. Abruptly, the councilman stopped and cocked his head. Kalan, was it? And what was your husband's family name? Aronia could not figure out why the councilman cared. Her thoughts still pulled her in every direction. Elkus. Kalan Elkus. He fled when our town was raided. At that, Hen's composure wavered once more. His lips tightened 
and his eyes darted between Vered and Aronia. Vered was first to take notice. What is it? Ah, war chief, Hanolan said awkwardly. I believe the young lady's husband is here, in our village. He is, H.M., well, yes. He swallowed uncomfortably. You see, we have had too many refugees, and not enough housing. The elf hemmed and hawed, gesturing oddly with his hands. You understand. To the contrary, either Aronia nor Verret understood at all. Verret grew impatient. For the first time in the meeting, his face grew angry. Spit it out, man. Hanolan hesitated for a moment longer, then inhaled deeply to gather his courage. We did not have enough housing for him, so he lives with. His eyes floated over Aronia once more. A woman. He lives with a woman here in the village, you see. Aronia's heart sank. She had struggled to admit it even to herself, but she had secretly hoped that she would never find Kalan again, and that she would find herself free. Yet somehow, here he was, right in the elven village the orcs had saved. Beside her, Vered let out a loud cry of shock. Aronia turned, and Vered was staring at her, for reasons she did not understand. The walls he had built so carefully and deliberately had collapsed. His face was no longer distant or cold, and his expression was filled with all the tenderness and passion he had so ruthlessly buried, intermixed with something else that Aronia could not quite identify. Dakar stepped forward again. The orc could not follow the elven tongue, but he could certainly tell something important had occurred. What has happened? What is the matter? Aronia's husband is here, in this village. Verit explained, his eyes still locked on her. He must have fled here after our raid. Dakar grunted. Unlucky. No, Verit replied, shaking his head. Far from it. This may be the luckiest accident of my life. Aronia still felt confused, but there was no time to ask questions. As the last of the other captives made their way to the village, Verit finally came over to unlock her collar. He came up behind her and she felt his fingers gently lift her braids and press against the back of her neck. He leaned in and whispered quietly to her, The choice is yours alone. Aronia heard the clasp pull free, then felt the collar fall from her neck and drop to the ground in front of her. She looked back at Verid once more. The warmth and love were still there, and she could now recognize the emotion she had been unable to place. Verid was nervous. She had seen Verid ride to war, conquer distant lands, and now save an elven village, but she had never before seen him nervous. Why? Why now? Her thoughts were scattered, and she could not make sense of it. She felt Henolan grabbing her arm again. There, there, my lady. Come, you are free to make your own choices once again. I am sure the situation with your husband will resolve itself. Yes, splendid. Henolan began pulling her away from Verret. Aronia looked over at the elven villagers and saw them pushing someone out of the crowd. It was Kalan. He truly was here, and he looked just as shocked to see her as she was to see him. I am not sure if... Aronia stammered. Hanolan continued to move her along, clearly wanting to be rid of her as quickly as he could. I do not. I do want to stay. I do. Hanolan gently patted her arm again. Do not worry, my dear. You are back with your people now. See? Your husband is right there. Come, you belong to him. Splendid. 
I belong to him? The curious phrasing stuck in her mind, and Aronia finally found focus. Does he not mean I belong with him? No, Henolan had said it right. He had said exactly what he meant. It was in that moment, as the councilman dragged her relentlessly forward, when Aronia realized that she had always been Kalan's property just as much as she had ever been Verit's. But where Kalan had treated her as a convenience and an extension of his own ego, Verit had treated her like a precious jewel, to be cared for and kept safe. Where Kalan had sought to isolate her and increase her dependence on him, Verit had encouraged her to make friends and find happiness. And where Kalan delighted in humiliating and demeaning her, Verit desired her, adored her, and loved her. Your people are those you love, and those who love you. The choice is yours alone. Something inside Aronia snapped. No! Aronia shouted, and she pulled her arm from Henelin's grasp. The councilman recoiled as if he had just been bitten by a venomous snake. I won't, Aronia said to no one in particular. I won't. There was silence in every direction, and she could feel all eyes on her. Henolin approached again, creeping up slowly and gingerly this time. My lady? the councilman asked. It was his turn to look confused. For her part, whatever uncertainty that remained had just evaporated. You say I am free to make my own choices again? Aronia asked. Henolin looked at her with trepidation. Of course, my lady. Aronia turned back and saw her collar laying atop the small rock it had fallen upon. She glanced once more at Henolin, then walked over to the orcs and picked the collar up. Aronia looked Verid in the eye, then carefully placed the unfastened collar back around her own neck. The surrounding crowd remained remarkably silent, and Verid's breathing had grown heavy with anticipation. He stood some distance away from her, and he spoke formally and loudly in Elvish to make sure all could hear. Aronia of the elves, have you been compelled to return to us? I have not. And do you come to me of your own choosing, and of your own free will? I do. Verid moved forward and brought his hands toward her neck. Aronia lifted her braided hair up for him one more time, and he reached behind her neck and snapped the collar into place. The orc stepped back again. He looked pleased, but he was still visibly nervous. His breathing grew heavier still and his gaze shifted toward the elves. Councilman of the village of Thorin, Verid said, his voice booming. I have learned of elven laws and practices from a young age. By tradition, a liege lord holds authority to dissolve the marriage of any of his subjects, should he wish it. I am now lord over Kalan Elkas and his wife Aronia, and it is their marriage I wish to annul. Dear people submit to these customs? Aronia's mouth dropped open and she turned to face the council once more. It was only at this moment that everyone seemed to really understand what was happening. Kalan's eyes bulged, and he began to squawk in protest. None of the council members seemed to know exactly how to respond. They looked to Henolan, who still stood where Aronia had left him. The council leader looked no less flustered than the rest, but he scowled, putting on his most affronted look. My lord, war chief, please! Yes, we know of this tradition, but it has not been practiced for many years. Generations. Ages. Henolin clucked his tongue. And you have been our lord for mere hours. I do not think. Verd raised his hand, and Henolin fell silent again. The war chief had anticipated this. It is much to ask, I know. 
Vera nodded in agreement. But you have said that the village is short of housing. We have brought smiths and carpenters with us for repairs in battle, and the Orsish tribes have more behind, if needed. If you would abide this request, I am sure the orcs could spare many to help the village solve these troubles and prosper as it truly deserves. Henelin's scowl disappeared instantly. He raised his eyebrows in surprise, and that diplomatic smile spread back across his face. The council leader understood an opportunity when he heard it. Ah, well, yes. Most generous, war chief, most generous. As Henolan spoke, Kalan continued to object loudly in the background unsurprisingly. He seemed less eager to accept such an offer. Even though he now stayed with another woman, Aronia knew Kalan had never been one to willingly part with property once it was his. Henolan twisted around to face the council then said something rapidly under his breath that Aronia could not understand. He turned back to Varad and clasped his hands. I am sure something can be arranged. Yes, splendid. A most generous offer. Behind him, the other council members circled around Kalan, and Aronia could faintly hear them whispering to him in harsh tones. After a while they dispersed once more, and Kalan had quieted down, looking defeated. One of the council members approached their elder councilman and murmured into his ear, and Henolan tilted his head to one side to listen. He then turned back to Varad, his pleasant smile still intact. I believe that offer would be most acceptable, war chief. Aronia's heart could barely keep up. It is over, she thought with equal parts elation and relief. Finally, it is over. Varad looked down at her again, and if he had been nervous before— he looked positively terrified now. Sweat beaded on his forehead, and he stammered uncharacteristically as he spoke. Aronia of the Elves, do you accept this arrangement? Aronia nodded vigorously. I do. Varad licked his lips, and his armor clattered as he shuffled his feet listlessly. He struggled to get his words out. Aronia of the Elves, will you walk with me to the Earth Mother? Aronia felt tears coming again, and she let forth a merry laugh. The villagers would not know what this meant, but she had been with the orcs long enough to know that Varad was asking her to marry him. After all the battles he had fought, after all he had accomplished, this huge orc was so nervous because he feared an elven woman might tell him no. I will, she said as she smiled up at him. Yes, I will. Varad let out a deep breath that he must have been holding for some time, then he laughed with relief along with her. He held out an armored gauntlet and Aronia placed her delicate hand back in his. He ran his other hand gently over her pale cheek, his thumb brushing over the red and white bands of orsish paint. After the couple had taken a moment for themselves, the orc looked back over toward the village council. He had recovered his courage, and he spoke confidently once more. If there are any other villages abandoned by their liege lord, if there are any other elves that require aid, tell them that they may join us, and we will readily defend them. He paused as he looked them over. Tell them that they may have an Orsish war chief, but they will have an elven queen. It had been four months since the Treaty of Thorin was signed, and as Varad kneeled in the middle of the temple, clothed in a fine shirt and wolf pelt, he watched his wedding guests begin to pour in. Orsish temples were circular and domed in design, and for important ceremonies such as this, the guests formed concentric rings on the floor around the central dais. As some of the elves began to enter, Varad could see they were not quite sure where, or how, 
they were expected to sit. Sitting cross-legged on the ground was not likely something they were accustomed to, and certainly not for the weddings of nobles or aristocrats. By tradition, Aronia would only be permitted to enter the temple once all visitors had been seated, so the war chief was glancing around impatiently, waiting for the flow of people to end. He had not seen his bride-to-be at any length since she had agreed to marry him, as she had spent most of that time visiting her elven family and encouraging them to come. Unsurprisingly, few had proved eager to travel to the Orsish capital, no matter the circumstances. Vered could see Aronia's uncle sitting near the front, and he seemed an amiable man, but he was her only extended family who had made the journey. Seated next to him were Aronia's parents, who looked as startled to be there as one might expect of elven farmers. Vered had learned that they were at first highly resistant to grant their blessing to the union at all. Like most elves, they instinctively thought of orcs as savage and unsophisticated, and they had both felt that Aronia's former husband Kalan had been a perfectly suitable match for her. But all these concerns were eventually overwhelmed once they understood that their daughter was to become a queen. Elves had always been particularly attracted to the allure of nobility and titles, and the fact that Aronia was to rise from rural poverty to become a reagent was far more important than anything else. Vered's impatience grew. He wanted to yell at everyone to sit immediately so that he could see his love mate again. As Vered fretted, Garrick entered from a small door on the side of the temple holding a bowl of incense and a bonding chain. Garrick was the head monk of the spiritual order to which all the Orsish monks belonged. The green orc was quite old, with little but a ring of white hair circling his scalp and eyes that had dimmed with age. He rarely made appearances in public any longer but he had gotten to know Aronia during her time aiding his monks in the healing tents, and he had been particularly eager to perform this rite himself. Garrick shuffled toward Vered, then placed the incense and bonding chain on the main dais. He smiled warmly, then patted the kneeling war chief on the head. The old monk was likely the only person alive who felt comfortable doing that. You are still anxious, war chief, the old orc said in his gruff voice. That is a good sign. Never trust a man who is calm at his own wedding. And why is that? It means he does not care, or else he thinks himself too good for his own mate. Vered snorted. I know I am not that. Aronia is one of the few creatures from any land who could have denied me what I wanted, if she had chosen to. I am not accustomed to asking. Garrick's eyebrows raised. Our monks may deny you. We work to mend the injured and alleviate pain but never forget that our order is beholden to the earth mother, not to you. Lucky then that I had not planned on asking any of you to bond with me. Garrick allowed himself a small smirk. You chose your mate well, young one. This peace you have brokered will not be forgotten. Vered shrugged his shoulders. I do not claim victory yet. There are orcs and elves both who have made their displeasure known. Centuries of hatred will not be tossed aside so easily. They will come around in time, or they will pass on and be replaced by children who are not so set in their ways. Garrick stuck a pointed finger in the air. And that includes the boy you sent us, Nairin. He learns quickly, and he has given us knowledge from the elven citadel that no orc has ever been privy to. Do not underestimate the power of shared wisdom, war chief. Our peoples are stronger together. I hope you are right, Vered replied but because I am war chief, I have a duty to do more than hope. 
Garrick snorted. You are much like your father. He would be proud of what you have become. The monk moved forward then grabbed the edge of the pelt Vared war and passed it between his fingers. Morna was a fine wolf. She was a good companion to him. Still kneeling, Vared's face tightened. By tradition, if an orc's father and his father's great wolf had both passed by the time of his bonding, the son wore the pelt of the great wolf to the ceremony. Morna had belonged to his father. The orcs saw it as a way to honor both their parents and their companions. Vered was proud to wear it. And while the war chief took pride in observing those Orsish traditions, Aronia had insisted on observing her elven ones, including in her dress. Despite some initial hesitation, Vered had quickly seen the wisdom of it. As war chief, he had found that respecting the customs of the lands that came under his control helped soothe any lingering hostilities. Besides, he knew Aronia would look beautiful, whatever she wore. Vered's mind had drifted back to his bride-to-be again. As the war chief looked around the room once more, Garrick let out a hoarse chuckle. They are almost all seated. The monk whispered to him this time. She will be let in soon. Vered tried to remain patient. He shifted his weight back and forth, but time seemed to stretch on far longer than seemed necessary. Just before he was about to inquire again, Vered heard the drums outside begin to beat their rhythm, and he knew that Mentoronia was being escorted to the temple. He looked toward the entryway with anticipation, still with a knot in the pit of his stomach. He did not truly understand why he was nervous. Aronia had already said yes. She had told him that she loved him. The drums continued their beat, but Aronia did not enter. Vered's anxiety began to rise. Is this unusual? Vered thought to himself. I have been to many weddings, but I do not recall the procession taking this long. Vered looked around at the guests again. The orcs seemed relaxed and happy, and while the elves were still getting accustomed to sitting on the floor, they seemed no less comfortable than they were before. Garrick had made himself busy fanning the incense to keep it ready. Begrudgingly, Vered accepted that this really was no different it only felt interminable now that he was the husband-to-be, and it was his own mate that he waited on. The drums beat on. And on. Sweat began to form on Vered's brow. It was unbearable. Finally, mercifully, the entryway opened. Bola came through first, wearing a red elven gown that had been made just for her. Orsish tailors had worked closely with their new elven counterparts to make sure it fitted the Orsish frame properly, yet adhered to elven traditions. Vered had expected the flowing, silky gowns to look silly on the Orsish women, but Bola looked elegant and beautiful. Behind her came Aronia, and Vered simultaneously felt a sense of relief and excitement. Vered's apprehension truly had been self-inflicted. The elven girl's dress was pure white, and she wore a veil over her face, which Vered had been told was to indicate the bride's purity and innocence. He wondered why such a thing was necessary, as this would be the girl's second marriage, and their intimacy beforehand had hardly been a secret. It made no sense, but he supposed that was often the nature of tradition. Orsish customs rarely made sense, either. As with Bola's dress— Aronia's had been designed by elven and Orsish seamstresses working together, and while it was elven in design, the frilly white gown flattered her kavya frame much better than any normal elven dress would have. She looked gorgeous, and Vered could feel his heart beating faster. The only other ornamentation Aronia wore was her collar, 
The monks had diffused its magic the moment they had arrived back in the palace, so it could no longer be used to compel her, but Aronia had insisted on still wearing it as a sign of where she had come from. Aronia arrived at the central dais and stood over Verid, and even though the veil obscured her face, her elven ears poked out to each side, and he could tell she was looking down at him. Garrick came to her and whispered a few words, and Aronia looked around at the ground for a moment. The elf hiked her dress up as she struggled to find a way to kneel onto the soft pad below without ruining her dress. The drums came to a halt. The couple knelt before Garrick, heads bowed, and the circles of guests around them sat in silence. For a moment the temple was remarkably quiet, and Barrett stared intently at the ground until Garrick motioned with his hands. At the monk's direction, the two lovers turned to one another. Aronia lifted her veil up, and Barrett finally saw her beautiful face once more. Her delicate elven features curved into a brilliant smile, and her pale blue eyes twinkled as she stared at him. She wore long white satin gloves, and as she reached out to him, he enfolded her hands into his large gray ones. Garrick began to chant in the ancient tongue, which bore little resemblance to modern Orsish, and which was understood almost exclusively by the monks themselves. He wafted the incense toward the two lovers, then instructed them to inhale deeply. Garrick held the bowl in front of Verid first, and the huge orc took a deep, steady breath. The ashes smelled pleasantly of oak and earth. The monk moved the bowl in front of Veronia, and Verid watched her close her eyes as she took her own breath. The monk set the bowl back upon the dais, then made his voice as loud he could, addressing the audience inside the temple. Tonight, as they breathe, the earth mother tethers this man and woman together. Garrick shuffled to his right. With each sentence he turned slightly, so that he faced each part of the encircling audience in turn. Tonight, as they breathe, their bond grows. They have declared their love for one another, and the earth mother favors them. Let us all grant them our blessing. Garrick bowed his head toward the couple, and the orcs in the audience did the same. Verid could see Nairin sitting near Aronia's family and whispering to them. He suspected the man was translating for them. Eventually, the elves too bowed their heads. Garrick lifted himself up once more. These two were not born to one another. This is neither a bonding of convention nor of convenience. Their love is true, and it unites people from here. Garrick motioned with one hand first toward the Orsish guests, then toward the elves. And from afar. We are thankful to have our guests among us. The monk continued. They show us that we have much in common, and what differences we do have will only make us stronger. Nairin continued to translate, and the elven guests looked up at the monk. They bowed their heads gratefully, but awkwardly. Garrick moved back to the dais and picked up the binding chain. He brought it over and gave one end to Verid and the other to Aronia, then the old orc knelt before them. He placed one hand softly on Verid's chest, just over his heart. Verid of the Duskwolf clan, do you come to this place freely? I am here of my own choosing, to bind my spirit to hers. The monk placed his other hand on Aronia's belly. Aronia of the elves, do you come to this place freely? I am here of my own choosing, to bind my spirit to his. Garrick nodded once more, then looked back out onto the crowd. Tonight, as they breathe, the blessing of the earth mother marks and binds these two from this day forward. They will walk together, and return to her together. Let it be done. Still with his hands touching each of them, 
the monk began chanting an ancient once more. Garrick's voice was quiet at first, but as he went on it grew louder, and a single drummer who had moved inside the temple began to beat along with his words, the chant becoming almost like a song. Eventually, Verid began to feel the monk's magic flow through him. Initially it was a soft, tingling feeling, but as time went on, the sensations became stronger and warmer. He looked over at Aronia, and he could tell from her startled expression that she was experiencing the same thing coursing through her. The chanting continued as the drumbeat grew stronger. The magic began to pulse inside of Verid, and over time the pulse grew faster and faster until finally it was constant. He felt something lock into place, and it was only then, as the bond completed, that Verid truly sensed it. In the back of his mind, Verid could feel Aronia. He could not read her thoughts or anything so precise, but her emotions flowed freely through to him, occupying a small space inside him. For her part, the elven girl's eyes went wide. She had been told of the binding, but the elves did not know this magic, so she had not been prepared for it from birth as he had. Verid could feel her astonishment flow into him, but also her joy and her love so much love. His own love flowed back through to her, and they fed one another in a loop. Unable to control it, Aronia was overwhelmed. She dropped the chain in shock and covered her mouth with her gloved hands. She began to cry, but through the bond, Verid knew they were tears of joy. Quickly, the girl picked the chain back up, trying to dry her tears with her free hand. I am sorry, Aronia stammered in Orsish. I thought I would be ready, but I was not. I am sorry. Garrick leaned down and whispered gently to her again. Do not worry, child. The chain is only a symbol in the ceremony. It is not the connection itself. Aronia laughed and smiled up at the monk as she continued to wipe away her tears. I can feel it, she told him. He is with me. I can feel it. Garrick patted the elven girl on the head, then stood up to address the crowd one last time. The bond is strong he told the crowd loudly. The earth mother blesses us all. Let them walk together from this day until their last. The orcs in the audience stood up and cheered, and while the elven guests preferred only to applaud, they were more than eager for an excuse to stand again. Verid spared one last glance at Aronia's parents, and he could tell, despite their reservations, that they were pleased to see their daughter so happy. The new husband and wife were always the first to leave the temple and as the cheering continued, Vera took Aronia's hand to lead her outside. Their love continued to reverberate through the bond, and as Aronia stared in awe of his affection for her, she lost any awareness of the other people in the room. The couple exited the temple, and the cheering became a muffled noise behind them. For the first time in months, the lovers had time together, with no one else to bother them. Aronia removed her veil, and her long silvery hair spilled out, flowing down her shoulders and over her dress. Her smile was undiminished. What happens now? She asked her new husband. There would be a large feast that night, with mutton and pie and a great deal of ale, but by Orsish custom, the bride and groom were very much discouraged from attending. They were expected to have more intimate commitments. Verid lifted the elven girl up into his arms, and she let out a surprised squeal. He began carrying her toward the palace grounds. The guests will have their own celebration. Tonight we are alone. 
As Verid carried Aronia from the temple and onto the palace grounds, she wrapped her arms around his shoulders and placed her head against his chest. The two had spent almost no time alone together since Doran, and Verid could feel her eagerness flowing through the bond. The elven girl was so infatuated with their new connection that he could barely get a word in. I cannot believe the Citadel knew nothing of this! Aronia exclaimed. The sensation, it's indescribable. She poked at his chest as if testing something. Is that, is that hunger? She asked. I think that's hunger. No, that's... Aronia looked up at him and bit her lip. Oh, I know what that is. Verid let out a chuckle. I have not been with you for months, and I can take no other mates, now. I do not know what you expect. Aronia smiled up at him as she ran her gloved hand over his jawline. That was not an admonishment, my love. Aronia focused, and Verid felt her push emotions strongly through the bond if he had feared that he was the only one filled with lust. She was making it clear he was not. Verid's facial expression must have responded to the sensations, because Aronia let forth a lilting laugh. She stretched out and kissed his cheek. After a moment's pause, Aronia seemed to consider something. During the bonding, Garrick placed his hand on your chest. And on my belly, she said. He said that we were marked and bonded. What did he mean? The bonding leaves a brand on those it touches. I will have one on my chest now. What does it do? Verid shrugged. The monks say it promotes prosperity and health, but I hardly pretend to fully understand their magic. I am sure you can ask Garrick when next we see him. The couple passed by Aronia's former slave quarters, and Aronia began to shift in his arms, expecting to be let down. Verid carried on, and she looked up at him, momentarily confused. You are my wife now, not a slave, he told her, sensing her bewilderment. That is no longer your room. You are a queen, and your place is in the Warchief's quarters. Aronia's elven ears flicked as she continued to stare at him. Her arms squeezed around his shoulders more tightly, and he could feel her love flowing through to him. He carried her in silence the rest of the way, and as they entered their quarters for the first time as husband and wife, Verid finally set the elf down. Aronia looked around the room, and Verid could feel her amazement. She had been in his quarters only a few times before, and it was clear she had not really realized these quarters would now be her own. As the orc took off his wolf pelt and laid it carefully to the side, Aronia turned back to him. This is our room now, Verid chuckled. Who else would it belong to? The elven girl shook her head. I suppose. I suppose I had not considered it. I was so busy trying to bring my family here. I did not marry you for your riches or titles. And I would not have married you if you had. Aronia smiled up at him once more, then ran a gloved finger along his jawline once again. Why did you marry me, then? Because you are generous. Because you are kind. Because you forced me to look at the world in ways I never would have without you. The orc began running a hand through her long, silvery hair. And because you are the most beautiful creature I have ever seen. Aronia beamed. I love you, she whispered to him. Her elven ears bent downward, and she stretched up onto her toes. This time Verid did not pull away. He leaned downward and kissed the elf passionately on the mouth. As the two embraced, their kissing gradually became more urgent. Verid could feel Aronia's hands exploring his body, 
running gently across his bottom and back. Her hands reached the front of his shirt, and they began to pull at the buttons holding it in place. Verrett moved his own hands down to help her. As he threw his shirt to the floor beneath them, he saw Aronia take her satin gloves between her teeth and pull them off. Abruptly, Verrett felt Aronia's astonishment through the bond. The mark, Aronia said with amazement. The elven girl's hands gently brushed over his musculature. Verrett looked down to see that the sign of the Dusk Wolf clan had been branded across his chest. The roaring wolf's head had been drawn in the center, and it extended onto the skin on each side. It looks powerful, Aronia said. I like it. She leaned in and began placing kisses on his now bare, heavily muscled gray chest. Verrett spared little time to reflect on the mark he could feel Aronia's lust flowing freely through the bond now, and it fed his own. As the elf continued to kiss his chest, he reached around to her back and began pulling at the clasps of her wedding gown. The dress fell to the floor, and Verrett looked his mate over. The silky elven undergarments were all that contained her now, and they accentuated her soft, pale figure beautifully. Aronia sensed Verrett's reaction, and she pulled back away from him, doing a little twirl to entice him. The voluptuous curves of her hips and fat bottom were on full display and the delicate, supple flesh of her thighs strained at the fabric of her sheer leggings. The elven girl was fully confident in her body now, and the bond left no doubts about Vered's appreciation of her. Does my master still desire me? she asked him playfully. Vered snorted. You know that I do. You can feel that I do. He cocked an eyebrow. But you are my wife now. I am no longer your master. The caller's magic has been broken. Aronia immediately shook her head. No. She placed a single finger onto his chest and poked him with it. Out there, I am your wife. Out there, I am the queen, and you will treat me as such. The elf moved her hand to the collar still around her neck. But in here, you are still my master, and I still belong to you. Aronia's pale blue eyes twinkled gleefully. Her gaze passed over the clothing they had already set aside and Verrett could tell she had an idea. The elf pranced over and picked up the bonding chain that had been used during the ceremony. She examined it. What is it? Verrett asked. The elf toyed with the chain to understand how it worked. She loosened one of the clasps on one end of the chain, then placed the clasp over her collar. She locked the chain into place, then offered the other end to Verrett. Slowly, Verrett took the chain in his hand and he stared into her pale blue eyes. He paused to see if she would object, but she stood calmly before him, waiting patiently. After a moment, he pulled at the chain, dragging Aronia in close so that he could whisper to her. Aronia of the elves, do you come to this place freely? Vered's baritone voice was gentle but firm. The elven girl's breathing grew heavier, intoxicated by the combination of force and gentleness. Yes, master. Vered licked along the edge of her pointed ear, and Aronia sighed softly for him. Then you are mine forever, now. Vered felt Aronia's arousal explode through the bond. The girl was very ready. The orc instructed her to take off what remained of her clothes, and Aronia eagerly obeyed. He helped her pull off her corset, and her large, pale breasts spilled out. She then shimmed out of her panties, and Vered saw the elven girl's own mark for the first time. She was branded with the sigil of the Dusk Wolf, like he was, but hers was smaller and placed just above her sex. 
Once her clothes were totally off, Vera gently pushed the elf toward the bed, and she bent over the top of it as she placed her hands on the mattress for support. She looked back at him, then stood up on her toes to try and match his height. She wiggled her bottom at him enticingly, and the bonding chain made a pleasant jingling sound as it hung freely from her neck. Aronia's sex was on full display, and the flesh of her full, ivory ass jiggled perfectly. Vera took a deep breath, then he took off the last of his own clothing as he moved toward her. His dark gray cock sprung forth as his pants dropped to the floor, and the orc gave it a light stroke in preparation. That wasn't what he wanted first, though. As he moved to Aronia, Vera knelt between her widely spread legs and began caressing the soft meat of them, feeling their suppleness beneath his touch. He brought his broad orsish tongue up to her inner thighs, then began running his tongue gently up and down the flesh. His lips turned to kisses, and over time, the kisses became more urgent as his mouth moved closer and closer to her sex. The elven girl began to let out small sighs of satisfaction, and Vered realized he could feel her pleasure through the bond. The soul binding was certainly going to amplify the intensity of their lovemaking. When his kisses finally reached her pussy, Vered ran his tongue across her outer lips, then placed more kisses along their length, his head tilted fully upward to reach her. He gently took her lips into his mouth and sucked on them, then finally moved his tongue between them, feeling the soft, pink wetness inside. He felt the elf begin to quiver, and as he remained on his knees between her legs, he realized she was still standing on her toes to give his muscular frame enough space between them. The gray orc's tongue lapped at Aronia's gash incessantly, and over time, he focused more and more attention on her clit. He began softly sucking the button into his mouth and rolling it over his tongue before returning to run kisses down her lips. It became a rhythm, and as the pace of the rhythm increased, Vered could feel Aronia's pleasure swelling. Before long, Vered felt Aronia's legs begin to shake, and she struggled to remain on her toes for him. To relieve her, Vered moved his hands to her hips, and the elven girl placed the bulk of her weight on him so that she could concentrate on her own gratification. His tongue grew more forceful, applying an increasing amount of pressure, as he swirled it over her clit again and again. Aronia's moaning grew louder, and she instinctively began grinding her hips into his face, rubbing her sex along the orc's tongue. Vered moved slightly so that she could place her weight entirely on his muscular shoulders, and he held the elven girl up as his tongue continued to press into her. Vered felt Aronia's lust swell further through the bond, and he knew that her climax was close. Her breathing grew very heavy, and she moved one hand from the bed to his scalp. The orc kept the intensity of his rhythm, flicking his tongue across her clit repeatedly. He wanted her to come. As if on command, the elven girl's legs squeezed against the sides of his head, and she cried out as she shuddered in orgasm. She convulsed and bucked her legs against him, rubbing her slit against his face, and the orc felt her sex spasming uncontrollably beneath his tongue. He held the girl up firmly to allow her pleasure to run its course. Gradually, Vered felt Aronia's legs release their grip on his head, and after another moment's pause, he lifted her up fully as he stood. She let out a little gasp of surprise, but he gently set her back down on their bed, belly up. Vered gave her a moment to rest. Aronia was still lightly panting from the release, but she looked up at him and purred amorously. Oh, she did miss you. 
Vered smirked as he got onto the bed and climbed between her legs, and Aronia lifted herself up slightly to trace a hand down his lean, athletic torso. The muscular orc leaned over her and put his lips to hers. As their tongues swirled, Aronia's hand traced further down his torso to find his cock, and she took the cock in one hand and began to lightly stroke its length. Vered pulled back and sat upright to give the girl better access to his member, and she reached her other hand down to caress it. Even with both hands stroking him, Aronia could not cover the shaft entirely. Vered let a soft moan of his own. And he missed you. The elven girl smiled mischievously. She shifted her weight and got up on all fours, then moved to place kisses lovingly on the head of Vered's massive penis. Vered grabbed the bonding chain that still dangled from Aronia's neck, then placed his other hand on her head as he whispered to her encouragingly. The elf ran her tongue up and down his cock to wet it with her saliva, then returned to its head and opened wide to take it into her mouth. Her pointed ears bent backward as she struggled to swallow as much as she could, and Vered heard her lightly gagging as she eagerly worked to please him. Even with so much effort, she could never take more than a third of it into her mouth. She looked up at him, and the two locked eyes as she bobbed her head up and down. After a while, Aronia cupped the orc's heavy balls with her hand, then began to massage them tenderly. Vered let out another groan, but eventually he tugged at the chain to instruct her to stop Vered had not come in months, and he did not want to finish this way. The elven girl pulled back, and there was a loud, wet popping sound as his cock left her mouth. She sat back on her heels and wiped her mouth, and she looked up at him demurely. Vered leaned down and kissed her once more, then pulled the chain to direct the girl to spin around and get back on all fours. He ran his hand over the back of her thighs and then over her full bottom, and he watched with delight as she wiggled it at him seductively again. She was ready, and so was he. Vered sat upright on the bed, then took his huge, gray cock in his hand and rubbed it against the top of her ass. It was an absurd image. From this angle, his orsish cock appeared to reach at least to the elf's belly button, and the thick, bulbous head looked as if it should never fit inside her. And yet, to his constant fascination, he knew it would. Aronia stuck her pale bottom out further for him, and he moved his cock down to the entrance of her sex. He began to push lightly into her, and somehow, impossibly, he saw her lips spread and stretch to accept him. She had not taken him in months, and at first the elf whimpered softly. Vered moved slowly, trying to let her body readjust to his enormous girth, but Aronia was already so wet that she did so readily. The elven girl's whimpers quickly turned to moans. Vered entered her deeper with each thrust, and Aronia began rocking her body into him, hungry to take in more. He could feel her body adapting to his size, and felt the soft, wet walls of her sex contracting around him. When he finally felt the base of his cock press against her bottom, the lovers both let out a moan of contentment. It had been far too long since they had made it. It felt like home. The hulking orc stayed still for a moment, letting Aronia relish the sensation of being so full. He focused his thoughts and pushed his love through the bond, then felt the elf's affection pulse back to him. It was primitive, but the two of them were now communicating wordlessly. Eventually, Vered began to slowly thrust again. He grabbed the soft curve of her hips for leverage, and as he gradually increased his pace, the elf clutched a handful of the bedsheets in each hand. Vered's aggression swelled along with his lust, 
and he reached down beneath Aronia and grabbed her chain again. Keeping one hand on her hips, the massive orc pulled at the chain, dragging Aronia's head up and back toward him and forcing her back to arch exquisitely. As Vera took her ever more forcefully, Aronia's fat ass began to ripple each time his thighs smacked into her. It was the most sensual thing he had ever seen, and the orc was sure the elven girl could feel his overwhelming desire through the bond. Aronia cooed at him, telling him she wanted more. Obliging her, Vera took his hand off her hip, and without slowing the pace of his thrusts, he brought it down hard on the elven girl's ass. She grunted, and he could feel a spike of pain through the bond, followed by an intense splash of pleasure. He struck her bottom again, and again she grunted. He continued to spank her as her, and both cheeks turned a rosy red from the blows. Eventually, Vered pulled harshly at the chain again, and he held the girl firmly in place. Out there you may be queen, Vered told her, his words coming out as a snarl. But in here you will always be mine. Overwhelmed by the intense cocktail of sensations, Aronia struggled to respond. Yes, yes, I am yours, she stammered, panting heavily. Vered smacked her hard on the ass again, eliciting yet another grunt. What did you call me, slut? Master, Aronia replied breathlessly. I am yours, master. This time, Vered stroked her bottom soothingly. Good girl. Vered put a hand back on the curve of her hips and relaxed his hold on the chain. Then he began to fuck her even more savagely. The girl gripped the bedsheets tightly, and their bodies made a hard slapping sound each time Vered pumped into her. As he neared climax, Vered gazed down at his love mate. Her thick, shapely figure was covered in sweat, her ass still flushed and red from his blows, and her pointed elven ears stuck out from the silvery hair that flowed down her back. She was so beautiful, so perfect, and he could hardly believe that, against all odds, they had found love for one another. Vered's strokes grew long, pulling almost entirely out of the elf before thrusting back in. Eventually, he smacked her ass and pulled hard at the chain one last time, then thrust in as deeply as he could, letting out a guttural roar as he came. The release was intense, and Vered felt his cock throb again and again as his orgasm washed over him. He held the chain tightly throughout, making sure every drop of his seed spilled into her. It had been months, so he had a great deal of it to give. As the pulsation slowly subsided, he leaned down and draped his body over hers, placing exhausted kisses between her shoulder blades. Still catching their breath, the couple stayed still for some time before gradually falling onto the bed. Vered held her body against his, spooning her. After a moment, Aronia twisted her head about to face him, then gave the orc a slow, deep kiss. She pulled her head back slightly, and they stared into one another's eyes. Vered reached a hand up to brush his thumb across her creamy cheek. You are perfect, he told her out loud in a deep and gentle voice. You are beautiful, and kind, and perfect. Aronia smiled broadly, then she cuddled up against his body to indicate her contentment. As they lay there, Vered's mind wandered, and he thought about their love. Vered knew theirs was an unusual relationship, that heady mixture of pleasure and pain, of punishment and praise, would not have been for everyone, yet it very much worked for them. It required a great deal of care, and love, and above all trust, but Vered had come to love and trust the elf completely, and now he could feel through the bond that she felt the same. It was a profound connection, 
and with the soul binding completed, their connection had become a spiritual one. Vered had not known what to expect of his wedding night, but he could not have expected better than this. Aronia cuddled against Vered for hours, spooning with her back against his muscular frame, and the two talked endlessly about their dreams and plans for the future. There was so much to consider, and as Aronia had been gone visiting her elven family for months, they had been given little time to discuss until now. Are the elves in Norn adjusting well to their new arrangement? Aronia asked. There have been troubles, Vered said as he cradled her in his arms. And a few elves have left the town in protest. But it has gone better than I anticipated, and there have been some unexpected boons. What boons are those? Despite the few who have fled, the town has grown. Our smiths stayed behind to build more housing, and many new elves have arrived from afar in hopes of finding safety and prosperity. There have even been a few elven women coming in hopes of being trained as soldiers. Unlike elven lords, we do not believe women are too fragile to ever be trained for combat. If they prove themselves dedicated and capable, we will teach them. Aronia squeezed his hand supportively, but she remained puzzled. Dakar will train elven women? But he does not speak their tongue. Vered laughed. It should be said that he is learning quickly, but no, it is not he who trains them. Agatha has stayed at Thorin with him, and she has taken several of the women under her wing. One of the elves is already preparing for initiation as a member of her ghosts. Aronia was bemused as she imagined an elven woman, dagger in hand and great wolf at her side her face slashed with the white paint of the snow fawn clan. Aronia felt hopeful. The world truly was changing. I am glad to hear it, but I am still surprised they have come to trust you so quickly. It is not me they place their trust in, Vered said correcting her. It is their new elven queen. Aronia twisted around to face him again, unsure if he was being sincere. She could feel through the bond and see from his face that he was. She stared into his golden eyes once more, then placed another kiss on his lips. He is so handsome, she thought to herself. I have married the strongest and most handsome man in the world. Aronia turned back around, then pulled Vered's arm over her body like a blanket and wiggled her bottom against him playfully. She felt snug and cozy in the orc's arms, and she savored the feeling for a moment before speaking again. What even are the roles of an Orsish queen? Elven ladies are taught to be seen, not heard. I have been so busy that I hardly know what my duties will be. Vered started nuzzling his mouth against her neck. Your duties are what you make of them. War chiefs and their queens share power as they see fit. We must play to each other's strengths. Aronia liked that. She knew exactly what she wanted. The Great Hall. Aronia responded quickly. The peasants in the Great Hall. I want to help them. That is my wish. Then you shall have it. The orc shot back quickly. You will do a far better job than I. You know how tedious I often find it. Vered adjusted the arm he had draped around her, moving his hand to her breast and giving it a gentle squeeze. Aronia felt her nipple begin to harden beneath his touch. They had made it only hours before, but they had not seen each other in so long, and her lust was not sated. She sent her desires through the bond, then felt Vered reciprocate them. The orc continued to massage her breast as he placed more gentle kisses up and down the side of her neck. Are there any other duties you wish to take on? 
Aronia tried to think for a moment before replying. The petting and kissing were having their intended effect, and the elf was starting to find it difficult to concentrate. I should be ambassador to any new elven villages that seek to join the United Tribes. Aronia said as she leaned into Vered's advances. They will want to see that elves truly can hold power amongst our people. Vered let out another chuckle. That seems wise. As much as the villagers in Orin have learned to tolerate the presence of our soldiers, I am sure many still see us as depraved animals, forever beneath them. It would be good for them to see an elf living happily amongst the orcs. Vered placed another kiss on her neck and squeezed the soft meat of her breast, and even an elf lying with one. At that, Aronia let out a gasp, then she lay a hand against the top of her chest as if Vered had scandalized her delicate sensibilities. An elven lady mating with an orc? And by her own choosing? What sort of shameless harlot would do such a thing? Aronia could feel Vered's confusion through the bond. She twisted to look at him again, putting on her best look of assumed outrage. As soon as she saw his face, she let out a girlish squeal. Ah! She screamed, pulling herself from Vered's grasp before the orc knew what was going on. Wearing only her collar, she leapt from the bed, trying to escape his clutches. She did not get very far. Vered shot up and grabbed the elven girl from behind, pulling her back onto the bed, pressing her against his chest once more. He held her firmly, but Aronia could feel his amusement through the bond, now. Unhand me! She cried loudly, breaking any pretense of disgust as she burst into a fit of giggling. Barbarian! Savage! Her words were barely intelligible between bouts of laughter. She vainly tried to wriggle away, but Vered held her tightly against his chest. He was so strong. You filthy brute! You enormous beast! The elven girl was nearly crying from amusement now. Still pathetically squirming in the orc's grasp, she suddenly felt Vered's member poke between her legs. Fully aroused, he was ready for more. Immediately, Aronia stopped resisting, and she let out another feigned gasp of shock. Still spooning with the huge orc, she reached one delicate hand down to her thighs to caress the massive gray organ jutting out between them, and she purred amorously. Mmm. You are an enormous beast. She twisted her head to face him again, placing a kiss on his thick lips before gently biting the lower one. The elf had dropped any semblance of protest, and she writhed as the orc's hands moved freely over both of her breasts again, squeezing the soft, milky flesh before pinching her nipples. Aronia's hand guided Vered's cock to the outside of her slit, and she bucked her hips against it, rubbing the enormous cock up and down the length of her lips. The bulbous head repeatedly brushed against her clit, and she felt herself growing wet again very rapidly. Vered nuzzled at her neck once more, and she relished the way his broad shoulders enveloped her. When Vered had first taken her as a slave before they had fallen in love she had been intimidated by his hulking frame, and by the way he towered over her. Her elven lovers had always been shorter than she, and that was what she had been accustomed to. Gradually, However, she had grown to greatly prefer Vered's size, and she enjoyed the way he made her feel small and feminine in his arms. Aronia's hand continued to stroke the orc's member, and as he still lay behind her, she guided it from her lips down to the entrance of her sex. Vered did not hesitate. The elf felt the fat head of his cock begin to push into her, and she let out another little gasp of pleasure as it began to spread her open. The orc took his time 
making sure she felt every inch. He entered her slowly, and Aronia could feel his girth stretching her out again, and she felt those exquisite, bumpy ridges that ran down the length of his cock pressing and rubbing against her inner walls. Varad reached a hand down to the elven girl's leg, caressing the soft flesh of her thigh before lifting it up and holding it in the air. It gave the orc easier access, and he began thrusting more forcefully there was just so much of him to take in, and the elf panted as he gradually filled her entirely. Finally, blissfully, Aronia felt the base of his cock press against her once more. Varad held himself there for a moment, and the elf reached back down between her legs, cupping and massaging his pendulous ball sack, goading the hulking orc on. She felt him breathing heavily against the back of her neck, and as he gradually began to pump her, he moved his hand from her breast to grab the bonding chain. Varad's strokes were slow but long, and Aronia moaned as the bumpy ridges of his orsish cock continued to stimulate and stretch her insides. The elf was clearly enjoying herself, and Varad moved his head slightly to whisper behind her ear. His breath was hot, and the deep, steady sound of his voice was intoxicating. What sort of elf would mate with an orc? Aronia smiled and rubbed her cheek affectionately against his face. No decent elven lady would ever. Before she could finish her sentence, Varad pulled hard on the chain, then he brought his mouth to her neck again and bit down tenderly. Aronia let out a passionate, aching moan, and she felt goosebumps flush all over her body. Varad's voice grew more assertive. What sort of elven slut worships orc dick? I do, master, she replied demurely. Oh, I do. The elven girl felt praise flow through the bond. Varad placed soothing kisses along her neck and gently stroked her belly, and it caused her to shiver and mew with satisfaction. She felt almost lightheaded. Varad's kisses ran down from her neck to her shoulder, but after a moment, the orc withdrew. He took his hands off her body, then his cock, which had been buried inside her, was pulled entirely out. Before Aronia could object, Varad rolled her onto her back, belly up. The orc got up on his knees and moved in front of her, and she eagerly spread her legs to welcome him back in. Varad placed his cock on top of her sex, and she looked down to see that the enormous organ extended entirely across the new brand on her pelvis and all the way up to her belly button. She was still not quite sure how it all fit inside her, but she was very happy that it did. Varad gave his cock a gentle stroke. Then he moved it off her belly to her entrance and began pushing into her once more. As wet and stretched as she was, Aronia's body readily accepted the massive cock this time, and two-thirds of the orc's members slid immediately and smoothly into her. She gasped again from the sensation, and with one more push, Varad's pelvis rested against her own. The orc loomed over her, and she stared into his eyes as he began gyrating his hips, grinding his muscular pelvis into hers pressing onto her clit with each rotation. Aronia moaned anew, and she reached a hand up to his dark gray cheek, admiring his strong orsish features. Aronia could feel his love flowing through to her, and she felt overwhelmed again by the sheer force of his affection he really did love her, and she hoped he could feel how much she loved him. Varad leaned down further, and the two kissed passionately. The elven girl ran her hands down the orc's broad back, then on to his ample, round ass, giving it a hard squeeze. Varad's strokes grew longer, and those ridges that covered his member rubbed deliciously against her insides. The pleasure was indescribable, 
before Vered, she had never felt anything like it, and she did not think any woman could understand until she felt it for herself. The lovers continued to swirl their tongues, and as the orc's gyrations grew deeper and faster, Aronia's moans came out as muffled whines. Eventually Verret pulled away from their kiss, then he touched his forehead lovingly against hers. His gray hand brushed across her lips, and the elf took his thumb into her mouth and bit on it. If it hurt, Verret did not show it. He smiled down at her. You are my little elven slut, he told her, his breathing heavy from exertion. And you are my perfect and beautiful wife, and I love every part of you. If Verid had hoped that would ignite Aronia's desire further, it worked. The elven girl's arousal erupted through the bond, and the hulking orc reacted to it immediately. He bent the elven girl's legs back further, her dainty feet pointing toward the ceiling, then he began fucking her ever more ferociously. Aronia's moans turned to lustful cries, and she could feel another orgasm swelling. She reached around with both hands to grab Verid's ass once more, and as he pumped her, she felt the powerful musculature flex and dimple beneath her touch. The elf looked down at their lovemaking and watched as the orc's enormous cock fucked her, the dark gray organ disappearing inside her pale body again and again. The contrast of their skin tones and bodies was incredibly arousing, and her pointed ears bent downward as she went over the edge. Aronia arched her back, threw her head back, and grunted as she came. Her pussy fluttered around the massive orcish cock, squeezing it, imploring it to give over its seed, and as Verid let out a carnal growl, he obliged. Heaving from exertion, the orc slammed into her one last time, and Aronia felt his heavy balls twitching against her bottom as they began to unload their contents inside her. Her fingers dug into the flesh of Verid's ass, keeping his body pressed against her own, and the orc bellowed as his cock pulsed, shooting thick ropes of seed as deeply into the elf as it could. Even as her own orgasm continued to wash over her, Aronia could feel the pleasure of Verid's peak through the bond, and the combined sensation was pure ecstasy. She wished it could last forever. Slowly, however, their orgasms subsided. Still panting heavily from exhaustion, Verid gave the elf another kiss then lay his head against her chest, and she stroked his scalp, murmuring to him soothingly. The two lay silently with one another for a long while, wordlessly communicating their affection and devotion to each other. Ultimately, Verid decided to say it out loud. I love you, he whispered softly. Aronia ran her hand over his scalp again. I love you too, she replied. At last, Verid slumped to the side, his aggression expended, his lust finally sated. Aronia rolled with him, then cuddled up against the orc to spoon once more. The couple gradually readied for bed and Aronia's thoughts meandered over the last year of her life. She reflected on how, through remarkable luck and circumstance, it had led her to this place, contented, happy, and newly rude. She idly picked up the chain still dangling from her neck and ran her hands over it. I know Garrick said the chain was only ceremonial, but it feels, it feels like it makes the bond stronger. Aronia felt Verid shake his head behind her. I feel like it was the mating that made the bond stronger. Aronia could not help but laugh, and she kissed the hand Verid had draped over her body. Suddenly, she felt the mark of the dusk wolf on her pelvis very keenly. It grew warm, and as she reached down and ran her hand over it, the skin beneath seemed to tingle. The feeling was rather pleasant. Verid sensed her alarm.
What is it? I don't know, I just... Vared reached down and stroked the elf's belly protectively. I am fine, she told him, feeling the sensations slowly dissipate. It just felt strange for a moment, that's all. Vared snorted, still sounding suspicious, and his hand lingered over her belly as if guarding it. The orc had ridden headlong onto dozens of battlefields, yet he grew defensive at her most trifling concerns. It was endearing, but she really was fine. Aronia yawned sleepily. It is late. Do we have any duties in the morning? Do our wedding guests expect us? No. They will have feasted tonight, but that is the end of it. Orsish weddings are far less formal than elven ones. Varid shook his head in disgust. The elven lords turned their weddings into lavish three-day affairs. Aronia thought for a moment before responding. Then tomorrow, I wish to hold court in the great hall for the common folk, not the wedding guests. Whatever coin was saved can be used to help them, however we can. There was a moment's silence, and Aronia felt warmth flow through the bond as Varid squeezed her tightly. You truly care for them, don't you? The farmers, the villagers. He placed a kiss on the back of her head. Are you sure you will be ready? There will be Orsish and Elvish peasants both. Aronia yawned again, and her eyelids drooped dreamily. She snuggled in closer to him. I will be ready. She told him, her voice fading. I will help however I can. They are all my people, now. Unbeknownst to either of them, as the couple slowly drifted off to sleep, the monk's spell was working its magic. Varid's seed was quickening inside Aronia, and eleven months hence, their first son would be born. Half-elf and half-orc, the boy would be the first, but hardly the last, of his kind a child of both peoples, made possible only through their love and by the bond that had sealed it. Nurtured and cherished by his parents, the boy would prove strong and perceptive and kind, and like his mother and father before him, he would change the world. The End